0: How's everybody doing? You came back. (laughs) Everybody's like, I don't know. How was yesterday? Yeah. What, um, What stands out to you? Anybody? Yeah. Yes. The honesty that you have to have with yourself as a parent. Having the values, yep. Patience, God bless patience. Anybody else? Communication, yep. Pursuing your kids, yeah. Man, so I, um, I, I know I need to rewrite this. I think can everybody see this? Okay, all right. Yeah, <laughs> so. So the responding rather than reacting. When you think about emotional health and maturity, this is free. This is uh, there's four core areas of emotional health and maturity. The first one, right here, is awareness. I have to be aware of what's going on, not do anything with it yet. I just got to be aware that I'm having something going on in my body, aware that something's happening emotionally. I'm having, aware that I'm having these thoughts. You know, there's two things that are powerful skill sets to foster awareness in us, and we're going to talk about this today, um, but also in our kids, and it's curiosity getting curious about what's going on and not just shutting that down the other is confession we don't like confession but confession is one of the most powerful tools we have as the church as believers because when i i have to be aware of something to confess it so if i and the word confession is homologous that's the greek word it means to say the same thing So to confess something doesn't necessarily mean you're agreeing with it. You're just saying it out loud that that's your experience. So awareness is where we start with emotional health and maturity. The second one, if we were thinking of this as a will, is regulation. Not reaction. Or rejection. Rejection. I want to be aware of my experiences, but I don't I, I don't want to reject a particular experience because I'm not supposed to have it, and I don't want to just react. I want to build the skill sets I need to regulate, and regulation is going to be... Uh, we're going to talk about it today. I'm going to give you some funny things that we do. Um, has anybody ever done tapping? Yeah? Okay. Um, people get weirded out about that stuff sometimes, but... It, the research behind it is, it, God has created our bodies in some fascinating ways, and so we're going to do something. Anybody smelled the soup? Exactly. All right, I'm going to teach you how to how to smell the soup. All, some 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 stuff today. Um, we want to regulate our experiences. If I reject an experience or require that my kid reject an experience, like, hey, stop acting like that. Well. <laughs> I might need to help my kid regulate, but something's going on with them. And if I teach my kid inadvertently to reject a part of who they are in any given moment, I'm not actually helping them learn the skills they need to regulate what's going on in any particular moment. And in order to regulate something, you've actually got to be aware of it and just acknowledge that it's there in the first place. Does that make sense? Then, if I'm building awareness here... I'm fostering regulation here. Once I start to calm down, then I can start to understand what's going on. And we're going to talk a lot about understanding ourselves as a parent today. If you're annoyed with your kid, what does that mean? It struck a chord with you, yeah. Something's going on. If you, um, yeah, we'll get into that. So you're able to then foster an understanding ultimately to respond. And that's the last area. I want to respond out of who I am and who I want to be, not out of chaos and frustration. I want to respond out of my mission and my core values, and that perpetuates. That is the, well, we could I call it the will a lot of times, but in this case, it's the square of emotional health and maturity. Awareness, regulation, understanding, and response. Um, how... Um, how did last night go with the values? Yeah? Um, does anybody want to shout out one, one value that you realized is core for you, and how did you define it? Is anybody willing to do this with me for a minute? You want to go? Let's go. What's your name, by the way? Lindsay. I'm Andy. It's nice to meet you, Lindsay. Yeah. Do we have a second microphone? Thank you. That's. Good. Can I get off the platform with this? Will it, yeah. Oh, that's okay. Are you still up for doing this? All right. Okay.
1: Yo. Um. <laughs> um so. <clears throat> is this one that I had? Yes. Okay. Roger okay so um, I had um, space um, and so like taking like I would get dysregulated if I didn't have enough space or like have enough alone time or like if my space wasn't ready like so I don't does that count that's a thing right okay
0: So you're the first person I've ever heard say space and I I love it I think it's a great value the th- one really cool thing about space, space fosters a contemplative spirituality. And that's something that we often lose in our current church culture of sitting and waiting on the Lord. Not saying anything, but waiting on him. And you've got to have the value of space. So you could define space like kind of how you thought about it or cre- creating, um, creating the space for God to speak and for me to hear myself and others. It's actually one of the core parts of hospitality where we create safe spaces where people can come into our presence and heal and grow. But that's a really cool value. There's a lot of behavioral things that can flow from the value of space.
1: Um, I found, too, there was a lot of, like, like, the anger would come up whenever the space wasn't like given, or if I didn't ask for the space, and like another one was independent, so it's like, like if I didn't have my feeling like I was independent or feeling like I had space, which like, I don't know. And so it felt like whenever you're talking about that shadow side of those things, it was really from that, like whenever you ask like, what drives you crazy, I was like, not having my space drives me crazy. <laughs>
0: You know, the interesting thing, too, is if you prioritize creating the space that you need, it actually expands your capacity to be around other people. So it, th- th- there's this mutual benefit there. That's a really, really good one. Um, anybody else willing to? You feel the same way as her? Yeah. Had that space. Yeah. It's not selfish. It, it can be, we can use it in selfish ways, but th- think about space is a value that really in a lot of ways helps foster self-care. And self holistic self-care to the Christian and teaching our kids how to practice self-care is not an issue of selfishness, it's, it's stewardship and it's an act of worship. What were you going to say?
2: I think a lot of times as moms, there's mom guilt, because we, we feel like we have to be present all the time, you know? And so, I think that's another attack that comes with space, because even though it's not selfish, it can be accused as being selfish, yeah.
0: Sometimes, yeah, By, so you can have a part that would blame you for living out of that core value. Um, I think it's a good value to teach kids how to how to respect and have your own space and what does that mean a lot of times though when, when people tell you that creating space for yourself is selfish um, it's because you practicing self care so that you can love and serve people well violates um, something in them that doesn't want you to set the boundary um, they need or want more from you and when you practice self-care and you say, no, um, I, I need this, this time. And listen, here's the deal. Like part of being a community is being able to reflect back to each other in loving ways when things are healthy and when they're not like, I, so I, I've struggled with depression in my life, kind of genetically runs in my family. But, um, and so I'll call it space, but really it's isolation, And so I need people in my life to go, do not isolate. And I'll get mad at them sometimes. But I need them reflecting that back to me so I don't get stuck in the echo chamber of my own chaos, of my own mind, right? We're not talking, when we talk about the value of space, we're not talking about that kind of stuff, right? We're talking about needing the value of creating space for God to move in us, for us to listen to ourselves. A lot of times when you create space, you start to hear the different parts of you come up that you've been trying to shove down. Same thing with our kids. We've got to help them learn how to tolerate and regulate these experiences in ways that are helpful and meaningful. Is everybody with me? All right, that's a great value. One more person. Yes. Oh, you got one? Thank you. Um,
3: I picked spirituality, and I was kind of on should I pick spirituality? Should I pick religion? But I find it interesting because these character traits, I just did this at my job this week and it was spirituality that came up first. And I was like, that's weird. I didn't think that would be like my number one trait. And so I picked spirituality. And also I think it comes at a great time because my daughter, she's been very scared going into our house recently. And I've just been telling her like, God is protecting us. God, we do not live in the spirit of fear so I thought like that should be overarching as Christians, but then when I was thinking for values, I was like, okay, that needs to be like a core center value for me and my child. And being a single mom, like, I rely on God you know, to be her father. And so I picked spirituality, and what it means to me is uh, making God the strongest presence in our, daily, in our daily life.
0: That's awesome. Making God the strongest presence. I love how you define that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, making God the strongest presence in our lives. And there's a lot we could talk through that. That's that, I love that definition, man. I did a great job defining these. It's uh. So, um, okay. So when you when you're going through that that worksheet, you want to come up with five to eight, and a, a lot of um, you can do this a lot of different ways. But right, write them down in your house, put them on a chalkboard, set them up give you a good visual, so you're constantly in a high traffic area of your home, so you're constantly seeing these values. So last night, um, we talked through what values are, why core values are important. We talked about mentoring our kids, spending time with our kids, with intentionality, pursuit, and so on. And then we talked about affirmation, and that affirmation is non-contingent. Uh, we are we, affirming their identity and their worth and their purpose and their strengths there's a lot to dive into regarding strengths based approaches to parenting and we'll probably spend a little bit of time talking about that today but if you're really interested in fostering that via viacharacter.org where you, where you would go to take the via survey, tons of great resources there um, there's a book by Dr., um, it's called The Strength Switch. By Dr. Leah, Leah, I'm drawing a blank on the author's name. Waters, thank you. It, have you read it? Oh, it's in there. Oh, there you go. Congratulations, Andy. For, good job. For, <laughs> um, that's what happens when I just start talking and don't follow my notes. All right. So, what happens when our kids violate a value? What happens when they violate a value? So, obviously, I'm going to do the best I can to stick to some of these notes. So we can, and then we'll have exercises as we do this. But um, let's pray and we'll dive in. Lord, we love you and we thank you, God. We're all in this together, and uh, I, I pray for wisdom as we talk and engage, and just a great grace um, for us to absorb what you want us to absorb in ways that help us serve our kids and, and raise them up um, in your image. We thank you for that. We love you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. All right, so through mentoring and affirmation, um, values-based parenting moves kids towards living out of these core values. We're talking about core values. We're defining the core values. Great, right? And you can talk about, has anybody ever thought about, uh, heard in like the, 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 um, like the uh, coaching world and business coaching world, uh, behavioral values? Yeah, the idea of behavioral values. Here's my perspective on behavioral values. Behavioral values are ultimately language that we give Um, what we do that flows from who we are and why we are. So um, we have friends in Baton Rouge, and uh, they, they are foster parents. And so one of the things that they have as a behavioral value is we do hard things. We're crafts, and we do hard things. That's a behavioral value. It's outworking value. It's fine to have those. If it helps you give that a language, that's awesome. Um, I, I just think any behavioral value really is still flowing from a core value. Why do you actually do hard things? You do hard things in every area of life. Do you, duh, and really what they mean is we do hard things. Um, it, it, it really flows from their value of hospitality. Creating safe spaces for people to step in so they can heal and grow, and how they foster kids because they don't just foster the kid. If they can, they actually work with the biological parents um, for restoration. They, they're, they're crushing it. She heads up an organization in Baton Rouge. Um, the, uh, his, the, the wife heads up. It, they're just doing a really good job. We, we had a we had we had a behavioral <laughs> we had a behavioral thing. I was like, hey, we're yard bros. We try things because I was trying to get my kids to try different stuff. And I was like, my kids are getting older. I mean, what if somebody's like, hey, you smoke this. And my, my kids are like, I'm a Yarbrough. I try things. Get and, I, and so I was like, oh, no, no. I said, I think we're a Yarbrough. We try healthy things. <laughs> and my, my older two are like, dad, you're, you're okay, dad. But, the, but that behavioral value of trying things comes from our value of wonder. Having a sense of awe in the unknown. Just try this thing out, man. Um, so anyway, does that make sense on that? All right. Um, so obviously, values-based parenting doesn't produce perfect kids, right? That's not the goal. But I think we as parents sometimes assume that our kids are supposed to know how to act. When we think about that, that's a presupposition, I think, of every parent. You're supposed to know what to do, son. Baby, you, you, I, know, I know you're four, but you know you're, supposed to not, you're not supposed to throw a tantrum in Walmart. Like, what is happening right now? These ideas of what our kids are supposed to do and not do. Um, it's not about perfect kids. We know that our, our, our kids are going to mess up. But what values-based parenting does, particularly when you start to talk about the value is it helps give a language for when your kid does something that violates the value. And that's basically all the violation actually is. It's that simple. Um, So when we deal with kids through a values-based perspective, we've got to be able to know what to do with violations and how to engage that. So there's a few assumptions about this. The first thing about dealing with a violation is you focus on the behavior of the child, not the character of your child. Let me say that again. The first core principle is you focus on the on your child's behavior, not their character. I I run into this all the time where you got um. You got a kid who won't do the dishes. And uh, and parents will um, assault the character of the child. Without saying the behavior and how it violates, right? Now, hey, you're just freaking lazy, man. Like, do what I tell you to do. I'm, I'm saying something over my kid, and every one of us are guilty of this, right? There, I mean, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, praise the Lord, because if that were the case, we would all be failing miserably. But what I want, what you want to do is say, hey, that's lazy behavior. When you don't do this, You're violating the family value of responsibility, and I know you got more in you. What's going on? What's happening? Why why did you Why did you not not do this? It 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 doesn't feel good when people see us do something, and then jump to character assassination. In psychology, um, we call that the fundamental attribution error, F A E. anybody ever heard of that? You in psychology? Oh yeah, okay. Well, awesome. Well, if I get any of this wrong, just raise your hand and please correct me, so they don't leave with uh, misinformation. I'm sure we all have egos, but mine ain't that big. I'd rather people go home with the good stuff. And uh, so anyway, that's cool. LPC LCSW. What? Are you? Oh, awesome, awesome. Well, appreciate what you do. Uh, what was I saying? I'm sorry. That that's uh. Oh, yeah, fundamental attribution error. It's when we, we see someone do something, and instead of attribute it to an external situation, we attribute it to their character. We fundamentally misattribute cause, and that's the error. So if, if I'm standing in the line in a movie theater, and somebody runs me and slams into me, and they keep running and they don't say anything, I'm like, what an idiot. Fundamental attribution error. Judge their character. But if I were to actually talk to the person and realize that they just got a phone call that their child was in a car accident two blocks down the road, I mean, you know what I'm saying? If I were him, I'd be doing the same thing kind of of deal. So what we want to be sure that we're doing is focusing, when we deal with violations, we focus on the behavior of the child. And it's not so much our accusations of the lack of character that shapes their character. Me calling my kid lazy doesn't shape their character. That teaching them the values and how to line up with those things is what shapes their character. It's like cooking. Any of you bake? You ever bake the cake too hot? What happens? You burn it, right? You can, cook, you can burn the outside and the inside's not done. Let me turn the heat up on this just a little bit. I'm going to get this done. I'm going to turn the heat up on my kid a little bit and see if we get this thing done. What happens is you can burn the outside, but the inside's not, not, not baked. Parenting through a values-based perspective is, a, is like smoking. I, I, I smoked my second turkey breast for Christmas this year. Um, it was amazing because I messed up my first one. <laughs> I figured out what I needed to do. And it was a process that took a whole lot longer than the first time I cooked it. I even took it out. Any of you guys smoke meats? I mean, Maybe you smoke too, but I mean, like, the smoke meats is what I'm talking about. So what, what I did was I, I took the turkey off when the breasts were done, cut the breast off, put them in full, and then put it back on so the breasts were perfect, and then I got everything else done pretty well. And had some other stuff happening in there. Brined it for 36 hours. It was praise him. We uh, we Louisianians like to eat. That's uh. So that's what I'm talking about. Is I'm not interested in attacking the character in the moment. What I want to do is play this long game with my kids. I want to see them bake from the inside too. And you know that's how God works with us. It's called sanctification. It's the process of us consistently being saved. Everything doesn't change in a minute. It works, works on us over time. Thank the Lord. All right, that's the first thing. Focus on the uh, behavior, not the character. Second thing is you want to connect the value to the violation. Connect the value to the violation. Um, it's simple things like, and I'll say this again, Hey, when you said you were going to do the dishes and you didn't, you violated the value of responsibility in our family. Help me understand what's going on. You didn't take ownership for what you said you were going to do. And honestly, when that happens, buddy, it's hard for me to trust you sometimes. So help me, what's going on? Does that make sense? I'm, I'm focusing on the behavior, and I'm connecting it to the value. And then I want to spend a little bit of time thinking through the reasons so there's a number of reasons why kids and adults violate core values. One is just pleasure. Feels good. It's what I want to do. It's that comfort thing. And I can't see past the pleasure. Sometimes adults have parts that we call firefighters. It's a lot of information. Everybody with me? All right firefighter parts are parts of us that don't care about the con- consequences of our behavior. They just want to distract us from the painful experience at any given moment. Kids don't have the capacity to think long term. So a lot of times what a kid will do is do whatever it takes to distract them from pain. And so they'll learn to do all kinds of different things. They'll acquiesce to your demands just to escape feeling fear from your response. That doesn't teach them values, it teaches them how to escape. Does that make sense? Listen, there's no condemnation here. Every single one of us in this room have done what I'm talking about, including me. That's why a lot of times with parenting, talk about a value space, apologizing to your kids is a humbling experience. But Mel and I have tried to work to just practice that. So if we've lost our cool about something, we'll go and say, "Hey, I, I, I violated my value of love in that moment, man. I, I, the way I responded to you disconnected us, and I want to apologize to you. I, there, I should have handled that in a different way. Thanks, Dad. All right. Well, let's talk through that. Okay. So. I'm giving myself the same language because it models for my kids how to manage it. It teaches them that nobody's perfect, but we care about our values, and when we fail our values, the values that we fail are the very values that bring us back in line to keep moving. All right. Some of it's seeking attention. Um, I'll have people say all the time, I was just doing that for attention. So And, (laughs) like, so, we all need Attention. Every one of us need attention, and I, I, you hear that a lot. Oh, so and so just doing that for attention. That kid's just looking for attention. Yep. And that's okay. We just want to be sure we teach them how to do it in a healthier way. Um, Getting something they want, like a tangible. Behavioral people out there, think about tangibles. You, you have as a teacher, do you have any uh, applied behavioral analysis training? Did they teach you any of that? Um, Physiological. Are are kids tired, hungry? Are they stressed? Is it revenge? Mm Mm-hmm. Our kids will go for revenge to help them feel better. Literally, sometimes the reason they do things is just to get back at us. They feel justified. Power struggles. You think about understanding how to differentiate and move into a healthy independence, you're going to inevitably run into a power struggle through arguments, resistance, conflict. It's individuation, despair. Sometimes our kids do things just out of despair. There's apathy, depression, suicidality. They just feel helpless. And that's the reason that they're doing what they're doing. Um, The child's trying to protect himself or herself from rejection or abandonment or failure. Sometimes they just forget or they're inattentive or their brains aren't firing the way that they need to be firing. They're not trying to be disrespectful. They literally just forgot. Not understanding what needed to be done. Sometimes we'll get mad at our kids and it's our fault because we didn't actually explain to them, hey, go do the dishes. I was thinking the other day, you know, our kids have been doing the dishes for a while and I've been frustrated about it for a while because they don't do it right. So I was fussing at my middle son the other day. I was like, but why are you not rinsing this off?" It's like it's just put it in the thing and rinse it off. And I felt like the Holy Spirit was like, "Have you ever showed him how to rinse it off, you moron?" He didn't call you a moron. I added that. That was my own self-talk. I'm in therapy for that. Don't. I'm just okay. You ever showed him how to rinse off it? Like how to step. And it was like, no. Once you start there, instead of getting frustrated with him about it. So I was like, "Hey, bud, come here. Let me show you." I apologize to. You. I did apologize. Apologize to you, my, for, for responding to you, the, reacting the way that I did. Uh, I'm realizing I've never really showed you how to do this. So, sometimes it's relying on the Holy Spirit to whisper to us, "Hey, you don't want me messing up here, bro." Like, teach the kid that. That's the mentoring piece. There's a song. Um, anybody ever uh, listened to? Um, See if I can find the lyrics to this real quick. Anybody ever listen to propaganda? He. Um, yeah, this is taking me way longer than it should, but it, it's 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 worth. Um, has anybody ever listened to artist propaganda like spoken word, rap? Uh, is it yes that's his hold on I, I want to read this to you because it um all right so he wrote a song called board of education but it's spelled b-o-r-e-d and um, He's he's speaking to the educational system. I don't want to get political here. That's not why I'm reading you this. But it's also the perfect picture of mentoring. He says, Dear Board of Education, B-O-R-E-D, so are we. So are we. At no point in the lives that we actually live do we sit in rows and listen to pontifications. Now, I love formal education, by the way. I'm not knocking it. I love it. But there's a bigger point to what he's making. At no point did Mama pass written exams on how to wash the dishes. No, she pulled the stool up next to her at the sink. Handed us a dish, lag, dish rag like, watch how Mommy does it. Now you try. Learning by doing. Such a crazy idea, it might work. The stools felt like magical ladders into an alternative universe, into the grown-up world. Informational portholes wormholes into other spaces where kids were equals being made privy to information only those with driver's license and facial hair had who knew we were learning no clue pops was teaching us time management and budgeting miniature project coordinators he said i'm gonna show you how to do these chores and if they're done when i get home then that allowance is yours maybe some ice cream involved too Remember when we were in kindergarten and you had to learn about worms? Yeah, you went outside and you played with worms. What a novel idea. The Board of Education, so are we. He's writing in a lot of ways about mentoring. Spending time, focusing, um, teaching poured into our kids. So when they violate these things, we're connecting the behavior to the value We're not focusing on the character, but on the behavior. And we're starting to think through about what it really looks like. Like, why? what is going on here? Um, So, in this whole process, we have to do a really good job of guarding our own emotions. Taking responsibility first for ourselves in the process of articulating the violation. Is everybody with me? All right. Um, by the way, we are going to take a break. Um, but I had a professor once that said, if, if, if you fall asleep in my class, I'm just going to assume you need the rest. How gracious is that, huh? I never fell asleep in his class. He was my favorite professor. Um, but the, that position of grace, if you need to stand up and stretch or use the bathroom or grab something and we haven't hit a break yet, just do it. Is that, is that good? Sound, all right. All um, right. If you need to do jumping jacks in the back, go for it. If you need to engage in interpretive dance to process the core value in your spirit, go for it. Just find your corner back there and just let me see. Just Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, it does. Yep. Yeah, write it. Yeah. So, so, yeah, then that list is not exhaustive by any means. It wasn't there. You're right, though. I, I probably need to type it in. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's great. How would you define authenticity? individualism okay yeah it's a lot of things No, you're right. That's why, that's why defining the values for our kids are so important and for us. Um, but, yeah, I think authenticity is an amazing one. And I think part of being authentic is creating the space to listen to who you're, you are as a, your core self and the different parts of who you are, whether you like those parts or not. It's just authentic. Um, yep. <laughs> she, she just passed. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that level of authenticity that you're talking about is important for us paying attention to ourselves and our own emotions. Um, because as we think through what the violation is, our next step is to understand as a parent how we feel, what our reactions are. Why do we feel the way that we feel? And we've gotta be careful to not hold our children responsible for our emotions. If I'm angry, that's not my kid's emotion. Our emotions are real and it's acceptable to communicate them to the, to the child as a part of the consequences. Hey, I was hurt or I got really frustrated, but because so, it communicates how their behaviors impact other people but we don't want our emotional state to be the motivator for their behavior. Is everybody with me on that? I don't want my anger to be the motivator for my child, the alleviation of my anger to motivate my kid. Saul, in the scriptures, you know, it says when when he really first started mobilizing Israel, he did it out of anger. Is everybody with me there? You remember that? Something happened, he gets angry, he never grew out of it. He never grew out of impulsivity and anger as a core leadership strategy. And I don't want to parent that way. It's okay that we have emotions, we don't have to hide them, we just don't want to operate out of them. In other words, I want the value to motivate my child's behavior, not the anger. When, when values-based behavior, values-based behavior is sustainable, Anger-avoidant behavior isn't. Does that make sense? Disappointment-avoidant behavior isn't necessarily sustainable. So parents, our feelings are our responsibility. So let me ask a few, few, um, f- a few uh, considerations. So if you're annoyed, for example, what do you think your child might be doing? If you get annoyed, what do you think your kid's pulling from you? They're not valued, or they're in the way, okay? Say that again. They're bored, okay? Yes, if you're annoyed, yes, if you're annoyed with your kid, what might your kid be doing that's pulling for the annoyance in you? Does that make sense? In psychology, we have something called the hook, so if, if, I, if, I, um, if I behave in a certain way that frustrates you, I've hooked you. And if you respond out of that frustration, you perpetuate the system. But if you can realize I'm frustrated, unhook yourself. I'm not denying the frustration. I unhook it, take a step back, and go, this is my frustration. I've got to take responsibility for it. But I'm going to do all of that before I actually respond to you. If if you're annoyed, it might be because your kid is engaging in attention-seeking behaviors. Dad, 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 mom, 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 mom. I'm trying to take a bath. The only space I have, leave me alone. (laughs) Annoyance. You'll see a a lot of new moms that get annoyed with their infant and feel guilty about it. Yeah, it's okay. It's because that infant is sucking the life out of you. That's a terrible joke. I apologize. (laughs) Uh, It's all. (laughs) It's like, no, mom can make it happen. What's that? What's that song, Make It Happen? Who sings that? Uh, Anyway, if you're, by the way, I do, like, your annoyance, you don't have to, you're not doing anything wrong by feeling annoyed. It's just an emotion. It doesn't mean anything. All it it means anything about who you are as a mom, all it simply means is you're exhausted. You've got another human being whose life depends on you. They constantly need your attention, and you probably just need to figure out how to get additional space a little bit. That's all the annoyance is communicating. But when, we, when it gets complicated with guilt and we don't listen to the annoyed part of us and what that part's really trying to say to us, it keeps spinning us out of control. Is that fair? Is everybody, are we all good there? All right. You're exactly right. So right now, we're not... So think about the emotional health, right? I'm aware of the annoyance. I'm gonna regulate the annoyance, not react out of it. I'm gonna understand what it means so I can respond appropriately. And then you can, once you are thinking clearly, you can start working through uh, different strategies that could be helpful. Leveraging the resources you have to get some additional time, whatever. If you're angry, it could be a power struggle. If you're angry with your kid, it could be a power struggle. These are just some examples. Of how to start paying attention to our own emotional states when our kids violate a value. If you're hurt, it could be revenge. Think about that. If you feel helpless, your child could be experiencing despair or depression. If you feel helpless, it's probably because your child does too, they're struggling. So by paying attention to these different emotional states, we can start to understand the nature of our child's behavior. Understand how to mentor them. This goes back to the self-leadership piece that I've been talking about. Our core self, can everybody see that okay again? Yeah. the Our core self has all of these different parts, and when these parts get wounded or hurt, yes we're relying on the Holy Spirit we're filled with the Holy Spirit Um, and at that same time we are leading these different parts of us well by paying attention bringing them to the table bringing them to the cross listening to God speak to us about what's going on and getting the wisdom that we need to be able to then um, better understand regulate ourselves and serve our kids so when you're communicating with your kid about all this and you're doing this internal work, it starts to sound something like, hey, you, whatever your kid's name is, fill in the blank. Um, you know, hey, Maggie, when you did this or didn't do this, you insert the behavior, it violated our family value of blank, whatever the definition of that value is. Or, hey, when you did that, what value do you think it violated? How do we define that value? You're, you're consistently with these different strategies. And right now we're on page 15, I believe. It's, um, it's under uh, violation under the putting it together section. The main, when you're putting this stuff together, is you're simply saying, hey, when this happened, this is the value it violated. You can, what does that mean, et cetera. And once you've established that your child understands the value and violation, then you can take some time to talk through possible motivations. What do you think motivated that behavior? Hey, help me understand what was going on when you said you would do the dishes and you didn't. And it can be that simple. It's not a marathon. I mean, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And so, again, us, when we're addressing, and we're not the consequences yet, but when we're addressing the, vow, the violation one of the most important things that we have to do is first and foremost take responsibility for ourselves. And it's not just about shoving the anger so we don't act out of it. It's about bringing our anger or our, our helplessness and frustration to the table, our annoyance to the table and saying, what is going on in me right now? What is going on in me? Okay. A disrespect. Hey, when you did this, it violated this value. And you walk them through it. That's how you, deal with the, that's how you start to articulate the violation. Is everybody with me? It's, it, it seems straightforward, and it is, but it's also not, not easy. I mean, if it were easy, we'd all be doing this all the time. It's because the nuances of our human experiences, when they start to get in the mix, it can get difficult. Managing ourselves, we pop off, we've got, um, we have patterns of relating to each other in our family systems, and those patterns are very strong. You may have a belief that if I don't yell, I'm not heard. I told you 15 times until I started yelling at you. You only listen to me when I yell at you. You know what I'm saying? Like I know I'm not the only one that's experienced that. But if I, if I hold on to the belief that you only listen to me when I yell, I'm going to perpetuate it into the next generation. So it's like, hey, listen, I realize that, hey, guys, come here. I realize I've been yelling more than I normally do. <laughs> I apologize to you. I need to have a conversation, when you guys don't listen and lean in when I talk to you, I get so frustrated with it that I end up yelling and I've got to take responsibility for that, but there's just this violation here and we're all violating these values. So here's the question, how do we all take responsibility for it? It's a different kind of conversation and it takes work to change these patterns. But part of the way we start to change these patterns is we build an awareness of what's really going on. All right. Does anybody have any thoughts or questions before we take like a five-minute break and get into the consequences? Yes. Yeah, think about respect. Uh, Our culture and our family systems, that's why the definition is so important because some family systems say if you confront me, you're disrespecting me. And it's like, hold up, no. Uh -uh. Uh-uh. That ain't how this works. You can't treat me how you want to treat me for my life. But when I set a boundary and confront you, I'm now scapegoated, gaslighted. Oh, I'm the one being disrespected right now. Or your, so, again, the language is very, very important. It's like, actually, I didn't attack your character. I, I focused on a behavior and how it impacted me. And so what I'm experiencing now is you, you're having a hard time hearing me because you're hearing this as an attack. And so we're going to stop the conversation. Does that make sense? I, we are responsible for saying things and inviting people in not necessarily how they handle it. We're responsible for how we deliver it. The other thing about a value, I mean, the violation, is you really only fo- focus on one thing at a time. Have you ever had somebody come to you with a grievance? And they started off with the grievance and then brought your entire life history into the conversation as if you have the capacity to do anything about all of that in one given moment? The reason that happens oftentimes is because that person doesn't necessarily feel heard and they just want to dump on you and so sometimes it's actually more effective to go time out i'm overwhelmed you came to me with one thing but you're dumping our whole history i actually want to do the best i can to hear you but can we please focus on one thing right now redirect them our kids get overwhelmed um Values-based, when you talk about the violation like I'm doing, it keeps us away from overwhelming people with past stuff. It keeps us from doing all or nothing statements. You never do the dishes. It's like, I just did them yesterday. What are you talking about? I never do the dishes. It's confusing for kids, for our partners, for co-parents, for like when we throw out these all or nothing statements. When you structure it, hey, when this happened, this is the value that it violated. This is how it impacted me. That's okay to say. I'm not dumping that on you. I'm just simply saying when this happened, this is how it impacted me. This is what I experienced. I'm, I'm not saying you, you made me angry. When you, that's your, it's your fault I'm angry. Oh, time out. Maybe what they did impacted you and your anger as a response, but it's not your kid's anger. It's your anger, and we've got to own it. It's, so it's okay to say, hey, when you did this, this is the value that it violated. I just want you to know it really hurt me. It impacted me this way. But those are my emotions, and I'm going to take responsibility for that. I'm not going to act out of my anger. I am going to respond out of my love for you and let's have a conversation about. It. This takes a level of emotional health and maturity. And I'm calling all of us, including me, up to a higher standard of living, not just parenting. How we interact with each other in the church as friends, as spouses, as partners, as co-parents, as whatever. Whatever situation you're in, I'm calling us all to a higher standard because we've got the capacity for this. We've got the Holy Spirit for this. It's in us to live this way and it creates a level of freedom that I don't want to go back to just being in bondage to my chaos and frustration and anger. Does that make sense? Alright, how are we doing? You another question? Yes. Before they're born. And here's what I mean by that. It, I, it's every age is a good age, even when you're praying and planning them in your mind. Is because every child exists in a system and if you're if you haven't had kids yet or your kids are on the way or whatever it's actually wise to start thinking through this now for your kids because these value systems will govern govern how you go into that parenting process um because so i'm not just talking about dealing with the child right now it's also the family system the child's in which is our responsibility so what i would say is it it starts with us as parents. So, in that regard, it's never too late, ever too late. Um, the other piece to this is I've always kind of just talked to my kids. Um, baby talk is great. You know, whatever people do? All of that's actually, it helps kids learn how to articulate. It's healthy, right? It's interaction, it's connection, it's eye gaze. Um, but even from early, early, early on, before I knew my kids could ever really even understand it, m- mostly my youngest, we started this when my, kid, my other two were a little bit, we've been doing values-based parenting now for a few years. So mostly we started this when my, my youngest was super, super young. But we just started talking about our values. Hey, buddy, good job being responsible. Because that's the other thing about a value, is when you see your kid do something that lines up with the values, this isn't just about correction. It's about going. I am so proud of you. I saw you do that. That was so responsible of you. Great job. So if my one and a half year old comes and puts a fork in the dishwasher, I'm like, responsibility. Uh-huh, you know, it's like, that like Steve Martin from, uh, I've got rhythm. I don't advise watching that. It's a <laughs> but, uh, that was a funny scene though. I tell you what. This, does that help? I've just started integrating it into the language because what we're doing is we're integrating this into the culture of our families. And so culture, you've got to talk about it all the time. You've got to keep leaning in, keep engaging it all the time. How are we doing? Yes, we're good? All right. Let's take like a short break, maybe five minutes. Uh, I'll kind of—it's It's 10, ten right now. We'll kick off about ten fifteen, 15 maybe right after. Is that okay? Is that enough time? Um, stretch it out, do whatever, and then uh, we're going to dive into consequences in just a minute.
2: So high God. get this far. After all I've been through, still you hold my heart. How did you pull me through the dark? If it weren't for you, the healing couldn't start. I never
4: knew I could find peace
2: until you found me. Show me who
0: All right, all right. Everybody, uh, everybody stand up with me for just a minute. Just kind of, just kind of, put one arm out and stretch it. Put the other arm behind your head. And you just bring them together. (laughs) Come on. What's? what's, Why are you laughing, man? Congratulations! We just broke the San Marcos record for the largest group sprinkler. We. I did that. We were, our church had this event, so there was a room with a full of these pastors and missionaries that came in, and my buddy and I. He, I was on staff at the church at the time, and my buddy, who's a, who's also a pastor there, he 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 was doing it, and I was giving the instructions, and all these pastors, and I was like. And guys, yeah, just go ahead and just, <laughs> and, and I was like, congratulations, you know, the Guinness Book Award record. And uh, every, some of them chuckled, but some of them were like, and I was like, bruh, you gotta loosen up just a little bit. <laughs> Say what? Yes, yeah, it. Yeah, just sprinkle it. Yeah, just sprinkling the. Yeah. Okay, forget that happened. Let's just keep moving on. <clears throat> All right, so the, the, the violations, giving it a language when this happens, it helps us stay in the moment. It helps us not, <coughs> excuse me, not attack our, our kids' character. What about the consequences? How do we implement consequences? So, what we're going to do with this conversation. There's a million different specific things that you could do for consequences. What I want to do is give you a way to think about consequences. Because if you know how to think about a consequence, it helps, you, it helps guide you in what to do with a consequence. It's like teaching you how to fish versus giving you a fish. And then we can talk about the fish. Does that sound good? All right. A consequence to a violation is like affirmation to mentoring. It solidifies what we've been working to instill. Kids need consequences. Our culture does not like consequences. Um, For a number of different reasons. But if we don't learn how to live with them and appreciate them, um, we don't actually learn and grow. So again, we want to be sure that we are remaining calm as we give the consequences. Um, connected kids respond; disconnected kids do not. If you can connect with your kid, that it they work to respond disconnected kids do not and I don't just mean disconnected from you I mean kids that are con- disconnected from themselves when a child's nervous system is disconnected and dysregulated that kid cannot learn from the consequence because they're in survival mode they're just not they're not learning they're surviving um, they're either going to burn out or just comply to avoid punishment consequences are different from punishment in a nutshell, punishment seeks to decrease unwanted behaviors. In psychology, you can have positive punishment or negative punishment. Positive is punishment. It's things that you do that you add to a situation to decrease an unwanted behavior, like spanking, applying the Board of Education to the seat of higher learning. That is the application to decrease an unwanted behavior. And as much as we would like, not like to admit it in Southern culture, spanking is just not that effective. Um, I'm not, I'm a psychologist that's not opposed to spanking if it's done correctly and contextually and I may offend some of you with that but the research is there for it like um, I will spank my kid a few times and the goal is not even to really hurt them but it's to get their attention if my kid is running towards a street and they need to fear me in a moment more than they do that car you listen to me or I'm going to pull you up and spank you in that moment you listen i'm going to dysregulate them in that moment to be able to i'm going to break what's happening does that make sense if they keep disobeying me that's a different conversation but spanking it ultimately is just not that effective but that is one example of a positive punishment where you add something to decrease an unwanted behavior are we all okay there did i just lose anybody because of that Overall, I actually don't recommend spanking. Um, it's it just it's a positive punishment technique. You don't really get long term goals, and people will say, my, my, "I turned out great." My parents, you know, well, my, I got spanked as a kid, right? It's fine in that regards. I'm I'm okay. Yeah, I'm I'm, <laughs> but. I'm not, listen, I'm not one of those, I'm not a psychologist that's judging parents who spank. I I don't think you're abusing your kid. Now, sometimes it can be. I'm belaboring this. There's a lot of nuances to this. I'm not judging you. I'm just simply making the statement that it's not as effective as you probably think it is. Is that fair? We're not instilling anything in our kids if we're unilaterally leveraging something like that to try to stop them from bad behavior. Even when I say it that way, it's like, what are we doing? Does that make sense? But I'm not judging you if spanking is one of the ways that you try to get your kids' attention. But there are, if you're going to do it, there are appropriate ways to do it. Um, and again, the goal is that happens. That should happen much earlier on, and it's not even to hurt the kid. It's to get the kid's attention more than it is anything. We okay? Are we okay there? Did I? Just, is anybody okay? All right, so. <laughs> When we are implementing consequences, um, we want to be sure that we're remaining calm. Think for a minute about how your parents handle consequences. <laughs> how, how did your parents discipline or punish? Uh, listen, now's not the time to be judging our parents. But I want you to just think for a minute about the systems. So let's take a minute, grab a groups around you. And let's just talk for a little bit about the systems of consequences. What are our family and cultural systems regarding the implementation of punishment and discipline and consequences? What did that look like for you if you feel comfortable talking about that? If you you don't, you don't have to. What are you noticing in our culture? Let's take a few minutes and talk about that. Does that make sense? Yeah, so just get in a few groups of those around you and let's just think for a minute, because these, these are kind of things we don't typically talk about, but the culture you grew up in, your family system and the broader culture, how does that culture discipline kids, punish kids, try to get kids in line? What does that look like? Thank you very very much. Okay, what what's what is standing out to you about the systems of consequences that you grew up in? Say what? Dysfunctional. Guilt is a motivator. Yeah 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 yeah. Or abusive. Dysfunctional, abusive, guilt as a motivator. Man, guilt as a motivator is tough. I I mean, so is obviously dysfunction and abuse. I I do a lot of trauma work and family systems and things. Um, Yes. Everybody here okay? Hey, can we get uh here?
5: So we grew up pretty
6: close in age and um being punished it was if one of us acted up or did something wrong, all of us got in trouble. So what she was talking about is building resentment, so it wasn't just resentment towards our parent. When we got punished, it was also resentment towards our siblings. So maybe our parents were trying to teach us, you know, to be, um, as Desiree said, um, she had told me, is maybe they were trying to teach us to maybe help the other make a better decision. So us to be more responsible with our siblings, showing them to be more responsible kids and uh, make better decisions. Whereas maybe that's what they were thinking they were teaching us, but in reality they were just building that resentment towards each
0: other. Yeah, and again, let me say this about when we talk about our parents. Now, I, I'm willing to bet most of our parents weren't abusive on purpose, right? They loved us; They were doing the best that they could. So let me say this about judgment. There's a, a big, big difference between judging someone and judging the health of their actions, and our culture does not understand how to differentiate the two. So if I look at you and I say, hey, I know we're driving 70 miles an hour down the interstate, but I'm going to jump out because it's going to be awesome. And you look at me and go, dude, you're an idiot. Well, you judge my character. May, and, well, I, you also spoke truth, but <laughs> but you judge my character and what happens is you have put me in the box of your judgment. There's no, there's no way that I can get out of the box of idiot that you've put me in. I might have had a, a part of me that was responding irresponsibly in that moment because I wanted a thrill. But I'm more than the sum of that part. But you put me in one box. I've got healthy parts and I've got unhealthy parts. And emotional health and maturity is being able to see the health and the unhealth in the same person and love them anyway. Does that make sense? Yes. Emotional health and maturity is as much about your ability to see health and unhealth in the same person and love them anyway. The degree boundaries aren't meant to be used as weapons, they're meant to be used as self care tools to protect ourselves from the unhealthy parts of others. Not not try to destroy them with our boundaries. Does that make sense? So if I set an, a, a boundary with an abusive person, it doesn't mean that I want to judge that person. I'm making judgments about the health of their behavior and I have to set boundaries accordingly. Does that make sense? So when we talk about our parents, really anybody, what we're doing is we're making judgments about health, not judging them. Is that fair? I want my kids to have that approach with me. I know my kids are going to be in therapy when it's all said and done. It's like, your dad even taught parenting seminars. You really messed up. You know, it's like, um, but... But the the same's true for how we enter, engage other people and how we engage our kids. We want to make judgments about the health of their behavior without judging them. So when people are like, don't judge me, it's like, I'm not, I'm not judging you. I'm making a judgment that what you're doing is going to destroy your life. Right? The big differences. And, and in those situations, it, it's okay if your kids don't like you you want your kids to trust you. It's better that you're trusted than liked. And that's very hard for some of us. I tell my kids, thanksgiving, thankfulness is one of our core values. And, um, It's having an appreciation for the gift and the giver, and it's being content. That's how we define it. So if I give my kid a gift, I'm a little bit off. We're going to come back here in just a second. But if I give my kid a gift and they don't say thank you, that's okay. I'm going to coach them. I don't need them to feel thankful to foster it. Remember that? Anatomy of every attitude right there. I wrote it bigger. Can you see that better? All right. Everybody's like, praise him. Thank you. Um, but if I say, hey, 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 Bubba, what do, you, what, do you, what do you tell mom and dad? Oh, thank you. I have a problem with that. Let's call mentoring. But if that bro looks at me and walks off without practicing an attitude of gratitude, then he can trust that he loses the gift. It's a consequence. Now, there are some things we give our kids non-contingently because we love them. But I'm fostering attitudes of gratitude. So if I buy them a, a pack of gum, we love Big League Chew around my house. Great flavor, Big League Chew. Come on, somebody. You can't, anybody remember, when's the last time you had some great flavor, Big League Chew? You need to go out and get you some great flavored Big League Chew and shove the whole pack in your mouth. <laughs> the whole pack if I buy them some gum and they don't say thanks I'm like hey guys what do you tell me oh dad thank you thank you I don't have an issue with that but if I look at them hey what do you say I don't get anything hey tell dad thank you I bought you and they still stare at me that's dad's gum now
2: <laughs> they don't,
0: they're they not going to like me but they can trust me right That so um, when we're talking about these kinds of things, I know this is a little bit of a rabbit trail, but we're coming back. Judgment is actually very important. We just want to stay away from judging the character of personhood. We want to make judgments about the health of the behavior. So when we're talking about things like our family systems, it helps to build awareness and understanding. That's all we're doing. We're not trying to judge the entirety of our parents based on their failures because every one of our parents failed. In some way they failed. We are too, right? It's just showing grace. It's, it's just showing grace and, and building on the, their health so that we can um, continue to grow and learn and foster a legacy of health, not perfection, but health in our families. Now, obviously, I do tend to nuance statements more as a psychologist, I'm not talking about abusive situations. We set boundaries. We get out. We do what we got to do. So, if that was your situation, uh, please hear this nuance. Are we good here? Are we good? There was a reason why your parents did that or didn't do that, but that there's no excuse. Let me say this too: when you're talking to your children, are these? Are these? Let me ask for. Are these sort of s- short little side things helpful? Because um, we have a structure, and that's great. But I, I kind of engage like we would do in session. So this is a little bit like you and me sitting in an office or sitting somewhere over coffee and us just kind of having a conversation. So as I think about it, it's one of the, the ways I can help you kind of chew on this. So we, are we good? Okay. Excuses and explanations sound a lot alike but they're fundamentally different. An explanation will always sound like an excuse if you're trying to explain before you try to listen to understand. So, um, in relationships or marriage or friendships, if somebody comes to you with an issue and you try to explain yourself before they feel heard, it will always sound like an excuse. We want to listen, lean in. Excuses and explanations can sound a lot alike, but an excuse moves us away from responsibility, right? What an explanation does is it helps foster understanding so that we can actually take responsibility. So, (coughs) very important when we're working with our kids Hey, Bubby, it's okay for you to explain to me, but not right now. We've got to work through the fact that this happened. Right? So, why, why did you shove your sister? How, like, when you shoved your sister, it violated this value of love and respect. Okay, I get it. We work through that, right? We don't, I don't let them just jump in and be like, but there's so-and-so, but so and they're moving away from the responsibility for their own behavior and once we get that worked out help me explain what happened now we're at the point of explanation in fact explanations are a part of a values-based conflict resolution strategy that we don't have time to get into today but when you talk about communication how do you communicate first and foremost to be heard not to be right right you're not interested in being right, you're interested in being heard, then you can figure out what's going on so that you can solve a problem based on a value system, then behavioral solutions. That's a different conversation, but this idea of explanation is really important because we need to be able to explain ourselves to foster understanding. We just don't want it to come across like an excuse. So if my son then says, She's been poking me in the back for the last hour, and I've asked her 15 times to please stop, please stop, please stop. I finally turned around and shoved her. Very good. Thank you for that. If I were you, I would have wanted to shove her too. What's a different way to handle that? Well, now I'm, I'm on to my daughter. Hey, you played a part in this. I'm helping your brother foster responsibility and not do some of this, but the world won't. You got to take responsibility for your part in this. If you got to fight, fight, but don't instigate stuff like this. You're 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 violating value. You understand what we're doing. Everybody starts to feel hurt in that moment, dealt with in that moment. Explanations help. I know this is a little bit of a side trail, but is this? Are, am, are we there? Are we okay? All right. Um, all right. Very good. Um, those are box jumps we've been working on right there. There was, a, there was a split second where I was like, I can't believe I just did this in front of a group of people. I hope I can push myself up. I made it. Woo. <laughs> uh, that was funny. That's what goes on in my head, guys. I, I, I'm sorry. I just let you in for a minute. Um, all right. So... <laughs> When you think about um, the systems regarding consequences, paying attention to our family systems is important, being sure that we're staying calm, we're understanding. Sorry, let me get back to where I was up here. So for consequences to be effective and and where we aren't perpetuating the unhealthy parts of our own family systems, the kid has to feel safe, um, and calm. The calmer the kid is when you're having this conversation, the better. Um, children will mirror our emotional states. I can't say this enough about being calm. Let me give you a few, um, few skill sets. Uh, can I get a volunteer? Come on. Or give me two volunteers. Actually, give me just a few. All right, come on. We're all lined up down here. Y'all ready to get this party started? All right. So um, what is your favorite soup?
7: Cheddar broccoli.
0: Sweet Lord, that sounds amazing. (laughs) Yeah, cheddar broccoli.
7: I'll go with French onion. Okay, French onion.
0: Any particular brand of French onion, like a restaurant? It's been
7: a while. I'm just kind of reminiscing, so nothing specific.
0: Well, instead of a big league chew, you may need to go out and get some French onion soup somewhere. (laughs) You got a favorite cheddar broccoli? Panera bread. That's a good one. In the bread bowl, right? Oh, okay. So there's some nuance to this. Okay, like the cup. Chicken noodle
1: soup from my
0: Aunt Kate. So, chicken noodle soup from your Aunt Kate. All right. So, I want everybody to get their bowl. So, I want you to think about your favorite soup, right? So what I want you to do is I want you to get your bowls ready. You got your bowl? I want you to see that soup in the bowl. Just see it, the deliciousness and that that goodness in there. And we want to eat it, but it's just really hot right now. So we got to blow it. Well, listen, we can't blow it too hard. Because if we blow it too hard, we're going to spill it. So we got to blow it super soft. So just blow your soup with me. So we're cooling it off. Now let's smell it for a minute. So just get your face in there and. Can you smell that soup? Sweet. Yeah, you're going to Panera, bro. <laughs> any, any, yeah. You got a, Anybody got a recommendation for some French onion? Cheddars? Cheddars may have. Had, all right. Yep. <laughs> all right, and chicken noodle. All right, let's do that again. Get your bowl. I want you to see that soup. Can you see the soup? I want you to visualize the, the soup. So just blow it because it's hot. Now breathe it. Oh, that soup smells good. This is called breathing the soup, smelling the soup. What did we just do? Calm down. Yep. There's several things that happened. I grounded the thought. So when you think about anchoring or dealing with thoughts, your kid's freaking out, whatever, one of the first things that you want to do is you don't have to get the unhelpful thought to go away or whatever. You just re-anchor your thought life. And by having them focus on the soup, I re-anchored their thought life into something else. Like, for a split second there, was soup the only thing on your mind? With the bread. Like, you, I mean, you all in it. Yeah. You Are you going to get the bread? All right. So, for a split second, there was no parenting seminar. It was only soup, right? I was thinking about that chorizo taco back then. a little bit. I, I, I had to, to re anchor in some soup because I was just like, taco. <laughs> taco. Uh, so, that's the first thing that we did was re anchor. The second thing we did was uh, deep breathing. Breathing. Breathing regulates the autonomic nervous system, which is your sympathetic and your just sympathetic nervous system activates you, gets you going. Your parasympathetic calms you down. When you breathe in, you activate the parasympathetic, uh, the sympathetic. When you breathe out, you activate the parasympathetic. It's the rhythm of the autonomic nervous system. So instead of staying super heightened, it's like, well, no we will get you in rhythm. And the more that you get that in rhythm, the more the brain actually calms down and the prefrontal cortex, which is the parts of our brain that actually know how to think and engage, come back on. That part of our brain doesn't stop developing until about 25. So your 5-year-old got a long way to go. Sometimes your 20-year-old does too. But <clears throat> So what we did with the deep breathing was we anchored in a visual As we were breathing in, long, slow, activate that or engage that uh, sympathetic. Activate with the breath out through para. We're helping our kids calm down by regulating their autonomic nervous system. There's a lot of different types of breath work that you can do, but this is a super, super simple one. Super, super. Ah, it was not, but I like it. (laughs) All right, y'all can sit down. Thank you. I have my goal was to make everyone hungrier. Uh, we um, yeah, God bless America. I'm thinking about soup right now. All right, so so, um, that's one way to help your kid calm down. If we get sometimes we can get so caught up on dealing with a consequence that we forget that we're actually parents. And mentoring our kids and so being able to help them calm down to receive that consequence and learn from it's really, really important. There's another technique. Um chewing gum actually helps too. That motion. Yeah, I know, big lead chew. Chewing gum is a is a is a a mouth movement that helps kids calm down. Um sometimes hugging them and squeezing helps them calm down. They need the, the the stimulation. It's like some, if I'm mad at my kids, sometimes the last thing I want to do is grab them and hug them and say, "Listen, I love you." But sometimes they actually need that. My my youngest needs that a lot. Um, Another is tapping. So who said who had said you did done tapping before? EFT, emotional freedom technique. Okay. So um, listen, a lot of the techniques I use as a psychologist have other things connected to it that you don't have to use. You just look at what these things do for the body and use them in their purest form. Like, people don't like yoga because of the spirituality sometimes associated with yoga, but yoga can treat symptoms of post-traumatic stress disorder as effectively as medication. So I don't care if you call it stretching. Like, don't incorporate the spirituality into it but helping your kids stretch and do different things helps the body process stress, trauma. Activities can help kids if your kid has a super hard time focusing, a lot of activity, et cetera. But tapping is another thing that can be helpful. Tapping um, decreases cortisol or can cre- decrease cortisol, which is the stress hormone, in the body by up to like 40, 45%. That is substantial. I know. It's like, and so, so try, try this with me. <clears throat> when you use it in counseling, there are things that you say at, to, to, to do this. But if you're just tapping, have, any, have you ever had a headache and you're like, rub here? God, my head's killing me. Like you can just kind of rub it out. You know, Anybody ever done that? Mash on your head some or whatever, and it helps your head feel better? Those are pressure points that when you apply pressure to those points, it actually helps decrease stress in the body, which is why it helps our headaches go away, especially if they're tension headaches. Is everybody with me on that? Right? Or like you go for a massage and you're all laid out and they got the uh, cucumbers and you're, you're breathing in the lavender and, uh, and they start working on your face and they start rubbing your eyes towards this part. They're, they're rubbing out those pressure points. All tapping does is tap into those pressure points at a proactive level. So if you start here, they call it the karate chop point. And I'll get into a rhythm of this where it's like You do whatever you want. And then I go to my eye, right, right the bone on the eye right there. And it doesn't have to be hard, but just firm. Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Come around to this part. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Underneath the eye, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Underneath in the snot gutter. <laughs> Sorry, I had it. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10. Right here, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, nine, 10. Right here. Under your arm. And then on top of your head. Right there. And back to the eye you don't have to go back so literally if i'm if i want to proactively give my kids skill sets to decrease cortisol in their body basically is what we're doing i'm finding these different parts of my body that help actually do that and i'm spending 30 seconds to a minute a day through it with them. Listen, as a psychologist, if I didn't do things because I thought they were weird, there's a lot of things I wouldn't be doing right now. Uh, I'm interested in the research because God has created our bodies in some pretty fascinating ways. Um, And uh, even blind squirrels find nuts every now and then. It just works. Um We good, so helping our kids calm down. Uh, so for consequences to be effective, they need to be calm. Those are just a couple skills that you can do to teach your kids, even your adult kids, um, how to breathe. Uh, a lot of times, um, if your kids are older, there are um let' let's do a few of these. I think these can be really helpful because if you, as your kids get older, helping them calm down is really, really important. I, I can't understate the importance of the body in this process. When we're parenting, we have to help our kids steward their bodies, and calming down is really important. So um, I'm going to do an exercise with you that's related to what we're doing, but I, I, have we talked about the elephant yet? Yeah. Uh, the pink elephant? We hadn't talked about the pink elephant with the red tutu? And the tattoo right here that says, I love mice? We hadn't talked about that elephant? All right. I want you to forget about that elephant. <laughs> Apparently, we weren't supposed to be talking about it. I want you to forget about that pink elephant with the red tutu. Yep. With the tattoo that says, I love my, you're not supposed to be thinking about it. So this is what I want to do. Everybody look over in the corner over there. And uh, so we're just going to have the elephant that you're not even supposed to be thinking of right now. Sit down in that back corner. And he's a little pouty. He'd rather be dancing across. But this happens to him all the time. So we're just going to leave him over there in the corner. We okay with that? All right. With deep breathing, I want to I wanna give you a deep breathing skill that integrates the soul and the spirit. You okay with that? And these are some skills that you can give your kids as well to help them start calming down. So, um, one of those is called the 555 five, five breath. Is everybody okay closing their eyes? You okay? You don't have to keep staring at the elephant. We'll leave, we'll leave the elephant alone. Um, we just leave him alone and work on our breathing skills. So, the 555 five, five breath the first thing that we do is we breathe out through our mouth like we're breathing through a straw. We're going to all do this together in just a minute, but I'm going to show you right now. Don't close your eyes yet. So we'll breathe our eyes. We'll empty all the air out. Then we breathe in for five seconds. Hold it for five seconds. And then out through the mouth. In for five. As you breathe, I don't want you to just pay attention, though, to the, to the breathing. I want you to scan your body. What is going on in my body when I breathe in? What's going on in my body as I hold my breath? And what's going on in my body as I'm breathing out? we okay? Um, we're going to stop after a minute. We're going to talk about it and then add prayer. Listen, I'm going to close my eyes with you some. I'm also going to open my eyes and monitor you, and I tell my my, my clients this all the time. If you open your eyes and I happen to be staring at you, it's not for the fun of it. I'm just scanning, and it's going to be random, okay? Is that fair? I didn't explain that to clients early on, and they were like, open their eyes, and I'm staring at them, and it's like, sweet Jesus, what are you doing? I'm just monitoring you. Uh, So, all right, let's close our eyes. (laughs) Start by breathing out through the mouth first, like you're breathing through a straw. Just pay attention to what's going on in your body as we breathe. Breathe in through the nose. And hold it and out and in. Hold and out. In and hold and out. And open your eyes. What was that like? It was relaxing. Yeah. Oh, so oh, the so the physical like asthma. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. Thank you. And so, it, yeah, if you have if you're struggling with something like that, then don't do what you can, and don't there. There's no pressure at all. Yeah. Um. But if if you were able to breathe though, like asthma, okay. Shoulders drop. What'd you notice when you were breathing in through your nose? What'd you notice in your body? Like, could you feel the air coming through your nose? Yeah. You shrugged up. When you held your breath, what'd you notice in your body? Focusing on one thing. Could you feel like the pressure in your chest? Okay, so you notice the stress in your shoulders and stuff? Okay, what happened when you were breathing out? You released the stress. And that's kind of everybody, apart from that, uh, granted, the physiological piece to that. that Was that everybody's kind of general experience? Okay, so there's a few reasons why we tend to start by breathing out first. If you're really worked up about something, if your kid is really worked up about something, and you need to help them calm down, it's a lot easier to breathe out than it is to breathe in. <laughs> Versus, obviously I'm talking about extreme, if somebody's panicking, but the, it's still true. If I'm worked up, it's easier for me to breathe out and start regulating my breath that way, and then I breathe in. Is that, are we good there? But the second reason is it's symbolic. It means, Lord, I am going to empty myself because I need you to fill me up. So when we breathe in this time, I'm going to pray for us. That God breathe into us whatever he wants to breathe. You you can pray for peace. You can pray for specific things. You can help your kid pray for specific things. But as you breathe in this time and you feel the air coming through your nose, that is the breath of God. God in front of us going, (sighs) blowing in. When you hold your breath and and you're focused and you feel that tension, that's God doing a work in you. There's Brian Regan, the comedian. We talked about, he says doctors never talk about pain, they only talk about pressure. They could have a two by four aimed at your head. You're going to feel a little pressure. <laughs> the pressure that you feel is God doing a work in you. So that when you breathe out, whatever needs to go, goes. It's a breath out of thankfulness and gratitude. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Are we okay? All right, so let's try this out. So, Father, I pray for us now that as we pray, as we breathe, as we, that you blow into us what we need now. And I know we're doing this for a parenting seminar, but I pray that you meet us here right now in Jesus' name I pray. So, Lord, we empty ourselves. Breathe out through your mouth. And, the Lord, fill us up. Breathe in. hold it. He's working in us. And out he sets us free. Thank you, Jesus. Hold and out. in and hold and out and open so what was that like that was better even for you very good did it change things to add prayer? Did any of you get a sense that God was blowing something in? Anybody want to say it out loud? Healing. So literally, can, I, can we stay here for a minute? So the first time that we did breathing, it was really not great because you didn't have the inhaler. We introduced prayer into it, and the thing he blows in is healing, and you're able to do it. Well, praise the Lord. That's real time right there, yo. Anybody else? Say that again. Strength, courage, fulfillment. Say what? Calmness, newness, his presence. Lift it up. Wow. Wow. gratitude you guys see how powerful this is not only are we regulating the body but we're re-anchoring our mind into the breath our soul into the breath and we invite god into this there's a spiritual component in this one simple exercise we're dealing with our mind our body and our soul Uh, sorry our body our soul and our spirit it's powerful teaching our kids these kind of things so let me ask you a quick question It was a great experience, right? Second question, did you forget about the elephant? (laughs) This is the elephant. You heard the phrase, the elephant in the room? That means the elephant in the room is an experience that we're all having that nobody wants to talk about. When I said elephant, I created an experience for you. It was, I introduced a thought, I drove it home with details. If you'd have paid attention, behaviorally, a lot of you laughed. Physically, it impacted your body. You shifted, there's things in your brain that were responding to what I was saying. Emotionally, it might have been a little funny and a little weird. Behaviorally, you may have been like, I need to get out of here as soon as possible because this guy's crossed the line, he's super weird. That's okay. The environment is, the church, the circumstance is a, Is a parenting seminar, and the setting events are all the things that set you up to be here today. In that moment, I created an experience for you. In parenting, we and our kids are having all kinds of experiences. And those experiences are governing what we're doing, how we're responding. What we just did is called authority. We're going to talk about this in church uh, tomorrow, actually. It's fostering authority over an experience, whether it leaves or not we calm down, we get a word from the Lord, now we can step into dealing with the consequences as we need to, mentoring as we need to. Is, is everybody with me? Is this helpful? Um, it's just one simple way to invite God into the process of calming us and our kids down enough to actually get into the consequences. All right. So, there's a few different kinds of consequences. Um, The first kind is natural. Natural consequences. Um, These are the most powerful motivators for learning. When a consequence is natural, it is the most powerful motivator. It's what happens after a behavior that has no prearranged planning or control. No prearranged planning or control. So... When we're allowing natural consequences to happen, we're staying calm, we're mirror, mirroring that. We validate our kids' experiences. We understand the emotions they have. We validate that. By the way, validating someone's experience is not the same thing as agreeing with it. let say that. Does everybody understand what I mean by that? I can validate that my kid's upset, that my kid's having thoughts, et cetera. I don't have to agree with them but validating the experience helps them feel hurt and helps them calm down enough. And then we help the child reflect on the behavior and learn from the consequences that they've received because they're not playing. If my kid talks about a friend behind their back and they lose that friend and they're crying to me about it, I'm going to validate that kid, my kid's experience. It's painful. You just lost a friend. But what are we learning from these consequences? Um, my uncle... Uh, My uncle, my dad's brother, when he was um, in, in high school, did something in his community, got arrested. And my grandfather knew the officer that arrested him. And he was like, hey, you know, Don is, uh, is at the station. And my, my grandfather was like, leave him there. Left his butt in prison, jail, not prison, left his butt in jail overnight. Last time he spent time in jail. Teenager, he was like, hey, he knew the officer. He's like, be sure he's safe. Like, he's like, we got space, we'll leave him in there. Left his butt in jail. Natural consequence. And then he processed it with him afterwards. Um, but validating our kids' experiences, giving a language, and then, and then walking them through, um, hey, what are you learning from this? Not, not rescuing our kids from natural consequences. Um. One of the most important ways to leverage natural consequences is to not rescue our kids from them. It seems simple, but it can be really difficult. Hey, if you don't practice or study um, and you fail that test and you never tried, you never studied at all, I'm not calling the teacher for you. Now, there are ways to help advocate for our kids, right? If, if we're seeing our kids work as hard as they can, they're really struggling, yes, I'm going to help advocate for my kids. That's not what I'm talking about here. Are we okay, are we okay here? All right. So, again, this isn't legalistic. I, I, I'm not saying there shouldn't be times where we do step in and help. But when you deal with natural consequences, you want to validate your kid's experience and then help them, what are you learning from this? And, and work to point that thing out. The next is logical consequences. So logical consequences um, are consequences that are prearranged by adults and motivate kids to use skills that they already have. So this is us proactively thinking through the consequences um, with our kids, if they're old enough to do this, and then we try to communicate with our partner and the kid about common violations and consequences before the violation ever occurs. Hey, if you are disrespectful, here's what happens. And so we want to be sure that those consequences are relevant and related to the behaviors that got violated. So think about cause and effect. If something is going to be, um, if, if something's going to be logical. Um, it's going to be relevant. If a kid is disrespectful to me, maybe they lose their allowance. Um, hey, I know you just got your driver's license, but if you get a ticket, you're paying for the ticket, and you lose the privilege of driving. Um, hey, uh, I, I was working with a, um, one young lady. Her dad was a physician. And uh, she... She just was not stewarding her stuff, and it was driving this Jeep and left the roof on the Jeep, like, up. Like, wasn't thinking about it, drives off, rips the roof of the Jeep off. And so I'm having a conversation, and instead of dealing with it, just got a new vehicle. This is extreme. But it's like, sweet, Lord, have mercy. If, if, if that would have been me, I would have had to have not only paid for it, Um, but lost a ton of privileges in the process. It's like, what's logical when I am no longer there and how do I implement that kind of consequence in the house? Does that make sense? If they're disrespectful, if I'm disrespectful to a boss, I lose my job. I could, right? If I'm not paying attention and rip off a door or something on my vehicle, or I run over a curb and blow out tires, my mom and dad ain't paying for that. I'm paying for that. I've got to go work and figure out how to steward what I have. The, having these kind of conversations proactively with our kids about stewardship or, or responsibility or things that line up with our values and is really, really helpful. So are they relevant? Are they reasonable? So you, don't, you, know, you want them to be reasonable regarding where your kids are. And then focused on empathy, putting ourselves in our kids' shoes, helps us avoid the temptation of judging their character and just dropping the hammer on them. That's not why we're doing this. We want our kids to learn and grow. So one of the language can be, hey, you can choose to do this positive thing, and this is the positive consequence, or you can choose to do this negative thing, this unhealthy thing that violates our family values, and this is going to be the consequence. Let's talk through it. We did this with my daughter. My daughter had a lead role in a play um, that she, she had had, like, she had tried out for it. But, and by the way, Maggie, I'm very, very proud of my daughter right now. She's, I'm, well, I'm proud of her, period. But she's doing unbelievably well right now, making, I'm just proud of my daughter. So, what I'm about to tell you is she's in a much better place. But about two or three years ago, the disrespect was at a whole nother level. It was bad. Everything was disrespect, snaps, slamming doors. And we were doing everything that we could um, to help navigate that season we were in. And so finally it got to a point, it's like, Mags, respect is so important to us as a family of value that if you were disrespectful like this to other people in your life, you would lose opportunities with those people. They're not going to hang around you. So the biggest thing that we can think of right now is if you can't pull it together and be respectful, you will not be in the play. You're going to lose the opportunity. She lost it. She, she, She didn't pull it together, snapped off, popped off. We gave her a few more warnings, sat her down and said, Mags, respect in our family is more important than your extracurricular activities. And my wife and i cried giving her the consequence because the play was a big deal her 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 part she got was a big deal but we laid out a logical consequence it hurt us but we implemented that sucker and ever since that consequence there's been a turnaround and that was a few years ago and she's 13 we have our moments but but Logical consequence. Is that is everybody with me on that? Um it 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 was painful. It still when we talk about it, it still kinda stings. Yes. Well, so if you think about small kids, right, think about logical consequences that are relevant, that are reasonable, and that are focused on empathy. So if, my, if I've got a, a little kid, and by the way, timeout, if, if, um, what out people make fun of timeout all the time, but it's because they don't implement it correctly. They don't understand what it's for. Timeout is really about um, helping kids leave a stimulus that's causing problems. So whether that's, um, and, and they lose access to that thing. So if they're freaking out over a toy, they're hitting or whatever, um, and it's about a minute per year of life. So um, if you've got a three-year-old, they can't stay in time out 15 minutes. That, they don't even understand that. Like there's no, so you can have a place, have a little timer there. You set the timer. If they get up, it starts over. Um, now, granted, if you've got kids who have super impulsivity, ADHD, you're gonna have to get more creative, um, and and that's what I'm saying. You don't stop teaching kids values because your kid struggles in some areas. You just got to get creative and get additional help if your kid's dealing with something that's that's different than just a normal implementation of this kind of stuff. But um, are we okay? So we've got the natural consequences in leaning in. We've got logical consequences that, hey, if these kind of things happen, how are we gonna handle this as a family? And if your kids are nine, eight, nine, 10 years old, they can be involved in talking through why these consequences are important. If you're being disrespectful, disrespect in the real world loses opportunities. You lose relationships, you lose jobs, you lose, also, you, you lose invitations to go do things. You lose bonuses. You lose whatever. So it's like, hey, you have opportunities coming up. What do you think you should lose if you're disrespectful? We correct you, and you don't handle it too well. What does that look like? Does this make sense? So, yes. ask me that again i want to be sure i'm understanding what you're asking me i
3: well
0: so what you're what you're saying is you're dealing with the consequence from someone in power over you's unethical behavior, yeah. So if we put it in a family context, it would be like uh, parents abusing their children. Like that's the family context of what you're talking about. Um, That's where other people, kids will report or other people have to step in. And you you have to rely on a broader system to deal with those kinds of things. Does that make sense? So as kids, though, they don't always speak up for themselves. That's why we speak up and we fight for our children. As adults leveraging your voice um are there consequences that are unfair yes that's part of the reason why we want to teach our kids values-based living because there are values to there are consequences to values-based decisions especially in an unethical world that's not operating this way so i don't i'm a nice person i'm a kind person that kind of stuff the switch flips Me. I I don't um if somebody's being abusive, unethical, things like that, I go talk to that person about it and nothing happens. If I am staying on this team, then I'm no longer dealing with you, I'm dealing with your boss. And there are there are things that happen that aren't fair. We could get fired because of that, right? But if you think about things in the long run, and I'm not just saying this stuff, we had this situation with my wife. My wife lost a job because a, a psychiatrist wanted her to do something unethical. So this, this is, and it, we took a, when you think about my wife's a nurse practitioner, we took a, a big financial hit when my wife resigned. So this isn't theoretical for me. I felt it personally. That's why those, that values-based living is so important because even in the fear frustration the the abuse etc you're still able to operate from your values the fear will still be there but it doesn't have authority over you does that make sense and so the same thing with the parenting context that's why we advocate for kids that's why pastors and church staff are mandatory reporters that's why we there's no tolerance on the kids kids stuff so i don't know if that helps or not but um the reality of it is there are natural consequences to everything we do and we don't do. So even if you don't speak up, there's consequences. Like, there's just consequences, period. So we'll think sometimes if I don't say anything, there won't be the consequences. But what we're really doing is saying if I don't say anything, I won't have this particular consequence I'm afraid of. But you're having consequences. Whether you do or you don't do, there are consequences, period. That's why a values-based living goes, you know what? I at least want to be okay with living with the consequences because whatever they are, because they came out of my core values. That's the game changer. That's what actually gives you authority. Not the not the boss's response to you or what they do. What gives you authority over your own soul is going, these are my values, and this is how I'm going to live my life. And um, I'm not saying it's easy, but it does set us free. Uh All right, so you've got the natural consequences. you you got the um, logical consequences. Logical consequences are about proactivity. Sitting down, planning, walking through these things. Honestly, it's about, if your kids are super young, it's about sitting down. If you, if you are married to have a partner or sitting down with that person, if you're a single parent, it's about grabbing a cup of coffee Sitting down and going, all right, what typically happens with my kid, and how can I be a little bit more proactive in thinking about consequences so I'm less flustered when this kind of stuff happens? Does that make sense? And so if your kid's one, 15 months, they have to sit, they get up, you redirect them. You may have to wait, stand behind them, redirection. Hey, see this? When this happened, no no to hit. No no. You hit. Come over here. You get to, you lose the opportunity to engage your friend or your sibling. That speaks volumes to a 15-month. We don't think about that as adults. But like, I can What do you mean I can't go play? I lose the toy? It's like that's what I, when you hit. No no. Come back. And you may be there for an hour and a half redirecting them to stay for the 45 seconds or whatever, right? But th- that's the grind that we're in. That's, that, that's, the, that's the cake in the oven on 225 or whatever that you want to be done so bad, but you know if you speed it up, you're going to burn the outside and the un- inside is not going to be done. Um, so conversations like, hey, you can choose to do this to be respectful and do the play, and if you have moments of disrespect, work to recognize it and just be apologetic when we point it out. That's all. we're, We're not asking you to be perfect, or you can be disrespectful, not change what you're doing, and not be in the play. It's your choice. So the question was, what do you do when you and your spouse or partner or co-parent are very different, right? Um, It's a different value system and a belief about what's actually important. So before you ever, we will almost inevitably get in arguments over the intervention itself, right? What do we need to do about this? Almost never do those conversations come first from a place of core values. Like, what's really important to you right now? Like, and, and how, do you, how are you thinking about dealing with it? Because a lot of times we're, we may be operating from different value systems. Or if we are operating from a value system, we're actually operating on how to deal with it then is from our past family systems. Now, this is the way my dad dealt with it. That's great, but it's not working. And if the goal is, the goal going to be to rigidly stick to the way it's always been done, or is the goal to figure out what the values are, what we want to see happen in our parenting, and then adjust those to meet the needs of our particular child, so we get the outcomes down the road that we want, not just implement this one strategy here because I'm struggling to be flexible with it. Um, so what I would say is, go don't say, let's take a step back from the intervention conversation and have two conversations. What are our core values and how are we defining them? What is really important? And then what can be middle-of-the-road strategies um, that help us be on the same page with the implementation of uh, the consequences? So I I work with parents where one parent um, wanted to implement give consequences and the other parent didn't like that extreme and what I found is the parent that didn't want to give consequences often had belief systems and came from a family system where they were always rescued Um, or that they they had so many consequences in their lives they have an inner vow that they'll never do that to their kids so any consequence feels like they're violating that vow and becoming their parents does that make sense this is why paying attention to ourselves is so important. If we're not paying attention to what's motivating us, we can inadvertently pass that same thing on to our kids. Is everybody with me? All right. Let's, um, let me say this last thing. We're going to stretch, and then we'll get into questions with the rest of our time. Does that sound all right? All right, last thing. So what do we do now that the violation's been discussed and understood and the consequences have been implemented? We go back to mentoring and affirmation. We are always, always, always going back to mentoring and affirmation. When the kid's ready to sit down and go, hey, what did you learn from all that? Giving our kids feedback. Having conversations. Man, that that was a good lesson. I'm really proud of you for how you handled that. I know there were those consequences, but you really did a good job of owning the consequences, and I'm proud of you. It's called responsibility, bud. It's a good job. I'm just mentoring. I'm pouring into my kids. I'm loving my kids. I'm doing what I can. Even if I've got to deal with a violation and consequence, I'm always coming back, always coming back to mentoring affirmation mentoring and affirmation values mentoring affirmation when I deal with violations we we process it like we talked about we give consequences as we need to um, and then we always come back to the values to the mentoring and the affirmation how we doing all right we've got about 25 minutes Um. We've got, a, we've got a few options here. We could stand up and take a quick, quick stretch. If you want to grab something to drink, we can do that. And maybe in about five minutes, let's come back, and then we can dive into how do we implement this practically. We can go through some of the questions that we have. Um, more than anything, I wanted to plant and water the seeds of frameworks for you so that you really know how to think, you can come back to the resource that you have, work through this thing. Honestly, look around. Look at everybody in here. You now have a common experience that you can start leaning in going, hey, you were in there with me. Um, It takes a village. What do you think about this? You're not alone. You're in community. This is an amazing church. Like, this is an amazing group of people. Lean in. Support each other. Be there. If you're struggling, if you're a single parent, ask for the help that you feel like you need or get additional, like, feedback. Or if you're parents and you're really dealing with a particular issue with a kid and you know you got other people, go ask people. Be a support to each other. We good? All right, let's take a five-minute break. We'll come back and then dive into uh, whatever remaining questions we got.
2: It like it never is.
0: All right, all right. We got about 20 more minutes and then, uh... All right, with the few minutes we got left, how's everybody doing has has this has this made sense um, all right, we've got about fifteen minutes um, we start with the values we get those written and clearly defined. We um, are always mentoring and affirming and leaning into that. You're not going to get it right. Chances are you're going to screw it up pretty bad for a while. Congratulations. (laughs) You're welcome. Appropriate expectations. I I screw up all the time. This isn't about perfection. It's about just having a framework and a structure it helps us realign and realign and realign and keep living this thing out in a way that's meaningful, coming back to it. Like, if you have a conversations with your kids and you feel like you kind of blew it, pay attention to that and then try again. We just keep leaning in. Um, when there's a violation and a consequence, deal with what you got to deal with. We've got a structure for it. We've got ways to think about it and then come back to the values and the mentoring and the affirmation. Does anybody, do we need to come back through some of the questions? Would that be helpful? Or does anybody have any pressing questions right now? Um, Or do you want me to just walk through? Yes.
8: So we have an eight-year-old daughter who's very emotional. She wears her emotions all on her sleeve, every day. And so she's in the third grade. She's been going to the same school since kindergarten. And so one of the things that I feel like we struggle is, is like trying to address her emotions. Like yesterday we had a conversation last night. I was like, how did I do? (laughs) Um, But she was saying how she transferred classes so she could be more focused in class. And so how do we like deal with her emotions like she's she hates when nobody wants to be her friend because she's a social butterfly. So she's like, well this person's not my friend and this person doesn't want to talk to me and this person doesn't want to play with me. And for me, I'm just like, oh well, like, you know, like, I don't know, I try not to be so straightforward with her and be like, you don't need friends. Like, just do your work in class. <laughs> just just do your work in class and play during recess and like PE, like, there's there's no point in talking in class. That's, that's one thing we're working on with her this year is like, being focused and, you know, because her grades are amazing. It's just trying to calm down from a social butterfly, but she just, she's, she's like an emotional roller coaster for me. And I'm like, you that like anything can hurt her feelings. Like, you could, like, I know we went through, I know in this day and age it's different. So we went through bullying because our daughter is um, one of the chocolate babies in her class. She's not, there's not a lot of chocolate babies in her class like her. There's not a lot of kids that look like her in her class. And so we went through, like, girls saying, why does your hair look like that? You know, because she has really beautiful hair, it's just very curly, tight curls. And it's, stuff like that makes her cry. And stuff like, well, I don't want to be your friend and I don't want to talk to you today, makes her cry. And so, for me, I just be like, oh, like, you're beautiful. Why are you worried about it? Like stop worrying, stop listening to what they're saying, you're very beautiful, and we tell her that every single day, and it's just like, she's just like, no, well, this person doesn't want to talk to me, or this person doesn't want to play with me, and mom, but mom, she's not my friend, but I really want her to be my friend, and and it takes a lot in me, I have to, like, go back and reevaluate myself, because I'd be like, it doesn't matter, like, she doesn't have to be your friend, like, you know, at the end of the day, like, kind of, It's their loss, not yours. Like, you're a great person,
0: but she's eight. So it's like, oh no. So, the the likelihood is your daughter's very different from you, right? In her her temperament and personality traits, right? So, um, you're operating from a value system that is um, more of an independent value system hey, let's just lean in and do that. Yeah, we want people to like us, but let's just do this thing. But the chances are your daughter, some of her strengths, and she's probably, um, um, there's a good chance you'll end up being like a counselor because she's an empath. She feels emotion strongly. I would say it's actually the strength for her, right? She just doesn't at eight know how to deal with it. And what's happening to her is it's really hurtful. Especially for people who are kids who tend to be much more socially intelligent than other kids around them, and she is this what you're describing. It just she doesn't know how to process the the emotion and not let it get authority over, her, right? So what I, what I would recommend doing is um, fostering this value, the values that you have, but also um, operating within some of these strengths for her. So for example, say. Um, um, in other words, help her, um, if she's crying about it, help her give a language to this so that you can help her foster an awareness of what's going on and validate it. Look, that does hurt. Then um, help her regulate it. So, so teach some of the, s- the skills and the breathing, smell the soup that we've talked about, and then help her understand that she is a socially intelligent person. It's a strength for her. She's gonna be able to pull from it. But as a kid, she's gotta learn how to use that more effectively. And so, um, how do we help her set boundaries with people? So if somebody doesn't wanna be your friend, we'll grieve that loss, we'll deal with that. If they're bullying or, or disrespectful to her, we'll grieve that and then now the conversation is about boundaries and how do you set those appropriate boundaries. Um, where she can still be social and ask people and give people invitations, Learn how to set appropriate boundaries as a kid on when other kids are hurtful in that way. Does that make sense? Um, so seeing it less as like super emotional and more as she's got this strength of social intelligence that she just doesn't know what to do with because kids are Brutal.
5: Because what you're describing, that's me as a little girl. And my daughter is similar. Well, we are social butterflies. We, you know, really, it's not like, oh, I want your attention to talk to you. It's just, I really love and enjoy your being, and I want to be around that. And so what helped me was getting, understanding those healthy boundaries as an adult, but I'm teaching that to my daughter, And explaining it like when it comes to bullying because she's tiny. And see, for me, I can't relate to that because I beat up the bullies where I came from. I was the superhero, right? But for her, she's not. She's the frail, you know, girl that, you know, she'll bite back, but it's in her time, right? And so what I tell her with the bullying is I'm like, you know what? They need that Jesus moment, okay? Okay. For one, it did hurt, and it's not fair, but the thing is that what's not fair is you realizing that that pain does hurt, and let's pray about it. Let's pray over them. Like, I want to teach her we are living the scriptures, but we're realizing we're not in, like, a whole different world. We are a part of it, that the buildings, whether it's school or church, people are going to be people. And knowing yourself and with that strength and understanding that it's like okay what can I learn from it like my daughter's a giver and I had to learn to be like God's gonna replace it with something different thank you okay it's not like I paid for that and how much and what and all this before I used to but now it's like wait a minute what am I learning that I can gain from her strength because like when I did that strength test really helped me see I, I have something worth I, I have something that God's making me apply and so um, I get excited with learning so with my daughter now we, I get to show to her that you have worth and you're teaching me how to be you know more of maybe this wasn't my strength and that's why it kind of triggers because I need to build it into a strength
0: yeah, and I think the more that you can help her see it as a strength, the other thing that you can do, thank you, uh, the other thing that you can do is leverage social connection as reward. So if there's one or two things that she's doing outside of school, um, uh, just keep reminding her about that, fostering that. Um, that could be really helpful as well if she just loves the connection. and um, Yes? We have sorry. I, there were two. Somebody. does have matter. We'll pick. go ahead. Yeah. We'll go pick. here. We'll that go here, be. and then we'll come back to you.
3: I, I have a question. We, we we're dealing with our our oldest, our six year old, who is developing these fears, and to me, it's like okay, there's certain cartoons that she can't look at, um, and it's it's starting to get it's starting to get more and more. And these are like cartoons. She has to leave the room. She can't hear. She can't be around it. And it's it, it's how to deal with it without being dismissive about it, and still being able to acknowledge her fears. Um, just little simple cartoons and things like that. Um, how how do we develop that? It's still acknowledging her fears and still helping her to conquer those things.
0: Can you give me an example? Like what, what's <laughs>
3: She's afraid of Curious George.
0: Okay. <laughs>
2: like, on these, like, she's watched them before and been fine, yeah. but then suddenly I'm, terri- like, she's terrified, and, like, uh, the Minions, like, she loved the Minions, watched the Minions, wanted a little plus toy of the Minions, and then one day she comes home, and can't do the minions it's scary it's terrifying and it's, so
0: like I don't I well, don't know so um and d- uh, do you know that if it did anything happen uh did tr- to trigger some of this or did it just kind of start
3: it just kind of started I mean that's that was uh, I was trying to get to the root of it. it's like okay can you tell me what you know why are you afraid of these things and she she can't she can't really talk about it so I don't know they just came out of
0: nowhere um, i my initial response is not to be too that's actually pretty common um with kids they'll they'll watch something and love something one second and then something triggers them the next um I think more than anything it's about if they if they if she gets afraid of it right uh, then Doing the best you can to help her have a language for it, and then to help her set whatever boundaries that she needs to set. So if she wants to stop watching, it, I think that's okay right now. I'm not. I'm not real worried. It, it doesn't worry me as a psychologist that this is happening. She's going to like. Every other part of life is fine, right? We're just talking about media and stuff like that. And she's she's just leaving the room right now. Out of the room, terrified. Um. So with kids, one of the things that you could do is instead of talking to them, ask them to draw or play out their fears. So um, she might not be able to tell you what's going on, but, but I, right now it's okay if she doesn't watch them. If something makes her afraid, she doesn't have to watch it. No big deal. But if you want to help her explore it, instead of asking her to talk about it, ask her to play it out with her. Like, Does she have little dolls or whatever? Ask her to play out her fears with her dolls hey when you get afraid let's use your dolls what what's what's going on or draw it out as art art or like play therapy and see if you can get any information from that but in the meantime i wouldn't worry about i think it's okay that she if she's worried about it it's it's fine i wouldn't give it any additional attention i wouldn't like oh baby it's okay coddle it's like you need to set a boundary okay set the boundary and then just move on with it so that the additional attention is not reinforcing it. But apart from that, it's I think you're good.
4: Yes. Thank you. Thanks so much. Uh, first of all, you're doing a great job. I really appreciate this and the church for putting this together and having you here. Love all that, you're, what you're saying. I have a junior in high school and a freshman in high school. And I've been for, trying to formulate this thought and the question what I what I wanna ask and trying to put it into the right words to say and what I've come up with is my, the kids are getting older, they're becoming independent or interdependent, right? They're forming their own identity uh, with the family, outside the family. I know all that's natural and should occur. So my, thought, uh, my question is specifically, as my children are getting older, becoming adults, going to college, graduating soon, and what, what does this look like in terms of the experience framework, the consequences, the, at the the mentoring, the affirming, what does that look like and how does that change as we go through these this next step because the kids are learning themselves, social media, good and bad, mostly bad in my opinion, but there's there's still stuff there and they're forming all these ideas of life and society that we've tried to instill with instill in them intentionally from a very young age and the values that you're discussed and And in doing so, as they start forming themselves and becoming their own person and individual, as a child of God, in this society, as part of our family, what does that look like as they get older, where they're no longer seeking you as much, where there's a fear of, I had to let go in some instance, in some ways. It's I should, I need to in some instances, but also there's there's an internal fear of, if I let go too much or if I don't provide that assistance, I don't want them going off and being crazy like I went. Like I went crazy when I was young. Yeah. Can you speak to that? And I hope I can, if I phrase that right because I know there's a lot going on there. But well, it's intentionally, it's really the the <laughs> letting go and being a partner with them. Yeah, and a parent still.
0: Not, there's two words that come to mind. The first is um, invitation. The second's permission. As our kids get older, um, we want one of the ways to let go is inviting them into conversation so it's the pursuit piece hey how are you doing how things going i want you to know i'm always here if you want to talk about anything let me know and we'll talk about them for for example it's like hey you guys are leaving but there's something that i'm learning right now and it's values-based living values-based parenting let's have some conversations about it these are the values that i feel like we've had in our family these are what I'm realizing are my core values. How, how did you see that lived out well? How did you guys see it lived out where we didn't do a great job? Start, you can start that conversation, number one. As they differentiate, move out, and, and, and grow up, um, two things. One is invitation. Hey, let's chat. What are you learning in school? Is there anything you want to run by me? Just always being available for that. And working to foster connection in general opens up opportunities for conversation specifically. Does that make sense? So connection. The other, as our kids get older, um, a lot of parents think that because I'm your parent, I can tell you what I want, when I want. And I don't agree with that. I I think um, as parents, what we have to do as our kids get older is ask for permission to speak into their lives. Because our kids, as they get older, particularly adults, and I I, I have this conversation with with a lot of young adults in family systems, you can say whatever you want as a parent, but your child's will has matured to the point that they're going to receive it or not. And they may not tell you that they're not receiving it, but you say it, you feel better because you said it, but your kid just rejects it. And what I find is, is when we ask for permission, if, if our kids make a bad decision or we think they're making a bad decision, saying things like, hey, I, I've got some, I'm noticing some things about your studying and I've got some thoughts that I think can be really, really helpful. I would love to share those with you if you're interested in hearing them. I don't want you to deal with the same natural consequences that I dealt with in some ways and that I see coming as your dad but I also realize you're a young adult and I want you to be open to at least hearing what I have to say. Those kind of asking for permission with your adult kids opens the door so that, okay, yeah, dad, I'm open. Boom. You just say it in loving ways. Um, yes.
8: Um, so we're blended family and we have a um, five, six-year-old And a thirteen-year-old and an eighteen-year-old, the five and six—they're excited. The girls—they're like, "Man, this is awesome." Um, The boys are thirteen, eighteen. Middle ones kind of like, "I don't care." Uh, Eighteen's more like, "I don't want nothing to do with this." And so, kind of, what does that look like when you're wanting to implement this system in your family? When you're, if you're blatantly like, it's almost like being attacked. Like, I don't. Want anything to do with your values those are not my values
0: well I I think the first thing you do is you just acknowledge the difficulty of it because the 18 year old is a competent major there's nothing apart from like you having boundaries with how you help the 18 year old for example um, hey we'll cover car insurance as long as you don't have a wreck. If you have a wreck, you, you got to start paying for some of this. Or Apart from things like that, um, what you seek first organizes the rest of your life. And either the chaos of this is going to organize your approach or you just take a step back and go, this is who we are now. Whether you like it or not, we are a family and we are about to sit down and work through what our core values are as a family. And for the 18-year-old, the 18 year old doesn't have to adopt them as core values, but there has to be respect for it. And, um, and so what I would do is not ignore the difficulty or the chaos, but I would sit down and just start laying this thing out, laying this process out and starting to get consistent with how you engage with each of the kids and each of the kids are gonna need something different and how this works itself out and that's a, a broader conversation. But really, what's more important than the eighteen-year-old liking you is the eighteen-year-old trusting you. Exactly. How do you, how does that happen? You lay out the values of who you are. You give like invitation for connection. You just keep giving invitation for connection. And two words for you guys is connection and consistency. Invitation for connection, consistency, living out the values that you come up with. Who you are as a family now.
8: Can you say second part again.
0: Um, consistent uh, connection invitations for connection and then consistently living out the value systems that you're now working to put in place for your for your family yeah Well And the other thing you can do is an 18-year-old, respect the will of the 18-year-old, but invite them into the process. So it's like, hey, these values don't have to be yours, but you are living out of some type of value, at least engage the process with us and write yours down. You know Invite them into the process. Yes.: Hi,
6: um, Our daughter, she's 12 and I couldn't have asked for a more amazing kid. I mean, she's amazing. It's just, I can't believe she's so much like me because she, she's adopted, but it's just like me looking in the mirror. Um, so around her friends in her school and her teachers, they love her, they think she's amazing. I get all these compliments, but every so often, it's not like that at home. Yeah. It's like with me and her dad, Uh, she's great but then all of a sudden she'll push the boundaries be very very disrespectful and then we'll talk to her we're like you know this is not acceptable we don't act like this in this family we respect each other and she'll go to her room sulk and then she'll come back and she'll say things like she'll hug us and she says do you still love me am I still wanted
0: how old was she when you adopted her
6: Two days old, but she grew up knowing that she was adopted. I mean, we're all different races, so it was. I mean, she knew she was adopted, but she would always come. She was like, We look so much alike, you know, um, the hair and everything. Um, But it just hurts me because I know that sometimes she wants to confirm that she's wanted, given the situation. Her birth mom was only 12 and her birth father went to prison because he was 20. And um, and I know that, you know, even though we keep confirming that, you know, that she's wanted and that she's loved, and I even tell her the true story that I had a dream about her whenever I was a teenager. And I had a dream about a little girl that looked exactly like her, and then whenever we went to the hospital, we saw her, we're like, you know, this is what God planned. But it goes back that I knew growing up that I wasn't wanted, and I never want her to feel that way. And, you know, I we talk to her all the time, and we show her love, and we do family things together, but it just seems like every so often she just comes back, and she's like, she'll really, like, push those boundaries and come back and, like, you know, do you still love me? And then she'll give us big hugs or whatever. But um, And then I'll ask her, I'm like, Tell me what you're thinking, and she's like, "Well, I don't know why I do those things sometimes, but it's never like that with her friends or at church or at school. They just they love her because she's she's a great kid and loving and just
0: it, yeah. It, it's because it's relationship attachment specific. So, I, what, what what's probably happening is that she's old enough now that there are parts of her that um, are sort of unconsciously dealing with the fear of being abandoned, rejected, or given up. And so we have parts that work to protect us or test the waters on those things. And so there's a chance that she has a part that periodically pushes your buttons to confirm that you're not going to give her up. And um, you can't... I know you don't want her to feel that way, but you can't change that per se. Um, Only She's ultimately responsible for that but you can provide the environment and the consistency to operate out of those values of love, choosing her. God, where, where she, you give her the soil that's healthy enough for her to be able to pull the, weed, the remaining weeds out of these beliefs about what it meant for her. Um, th- does that make sense?
6: It does. It just feels like, you know, I know it takes time and just providing that environment, but, you know, it's just knowing that she feels that way. And, I mean, I probably, you know, I would tell clients that I'm sitting across from, you know, just keep confirming, keep confirming. But, you know, it's like I well, want her to be there, you I, know.
0: I would say when, when you say she feels that way, I, I would just, I would say there's a part of her that feels that way. Right. So I, I don't think all of her feels that way. I think most of her knows that she's loved and accepted. I think there's just a part of her, and that part comes out periodically when it pushes your buttons. And so if you can get curious about that, regulate yourself, and then once she calms down, come back and have conversations and help her get curious about what this part's doing, then she can learn to ask for that affirmation in healthier ways. Hey, Mom, Dad, I'm I'm, I'm just having a moment where I feel I'm afraid I'm going to get left. And um, instead of pushing your buttons this time, I just want to tell you I feel this way. Well, that's work, and that that's growing, you know, but it's a different, more positive way of dealing, of dealing with that. Um, it is 12-12. I want to be respectful of people's time, and I, I, I know we got some questions, so if you need to go, let me just say a few things. Um, one, I want to thank uh, Pastor Robin and the church. Thank you so much for having me. Um, it's an honor for me to be able to come do this. This isn't just theoretical for me. This is how we parent our kids. And I just want to say thank you for being so attentive and, and, and engaged. And uh, it's an honor for me to be able to come and do this. I know this is a sacred space, and so I don't take it lightly. And so I just want to say thank you. Um, yeah, thank I think, you very much. I think much. a round of applause for and Dr. Then, Andy. Wow. Well so good. And I'm, Thank you. And I, I'm okay staying for a, a few more minutes and just answering questions. If you if you if you can stay, f- are we okay with that yeah. for mm-hmm. a yeah. few more minutes and ask questions? Uh, we can do that. So, but if you do need to go, there's no judgment at all. Uh, I, I appreciate you for being here. But it, it, so I know we had a couple of hands go up over here. I think as you hear people ask questions if there are if you feel connected in any way to what other people are going through connect and be a support to each other I think it's a good way to foster community and be the be the church was there one more question
1: yes hi so um you had mentioned hi hi um about um giving us like like to ask like if we're looking for more help um the questions to ask potential like Therapists or counselors or I don't even know so like what are some of those questions to to ask them I mean
0: uh, so how do you take the are you asking me how do you take the next step in getting some additional help yes okay um, if if you want to pursue some counseling um, and and work through some of this, you can find look up therapists who operate from a few different uh, Um, By the way, I actually have this. um, um, uh, So on the... Hold on, let me find it. It's called Special Considerations. What page is it? Page 20. Um, I know a lot of you are in unique situations where you've got a child that from fostering or adoption or you're a blended family. You've got a kid that's gone through significant trauma. There's neurodevelopmental issues with your kids. ADHD is a neurodevelopmental issue. Um, some mental health struggles, physical disabilities. I put a list of different types of therapies that could be really helpful. Um, ABA for kids who are dealing with their developmental stuff, trust-based relational interventions, play therapy, bottom-up approaches where people use the body and things like that, and then the counseling piece. When, When you think about counseling and you're talking about family, you wanna look for somebody that is trained in like family systems therapy. Family systems therapy. You want to look for somebody that might be trained in internal family systems therapy, or IFS? That's a great question. So, internal family systems. So, family systems, like if we were all a family, I'm a part of that family, you're a part of that family. We all have um, uh, a part to play in the broader system, but the system has its own identity too, right? The family does. Internal family systems has that same idea, but it looks at the different parts of you as your internal family. So it teaches you how to pay attention to the different parts of who you are, treat that as a system, and then reach out to the system that you're in as a part of the broader systems. Say what? There you go. So internal family systems therapists can be really helpful. I I don't know what I'm about to say. I don't know the position of the church on this, so I want to be very respectful and very careful about this. In terms of a Christian counselor, I think you just find someone that's good, um, who can respect your faith, not shove their value systems down your throat. They will respect your faith. Um... People who are good at what they do, whether they're Christians or not, are going to have their own belief systems, but they will know how to honor and respect yours. I've just, I don't know about the culture here in Texas or Austin, but I, I, in, in Louisiana, there's a lot of people that will say, I'm a Christian counselor and, and not know what that means. They're a Christian and they're a counselor, but they have no real training or, or critical thinking on how to engage soul care and spiritual formation. So when you're seeking counseling, you're staying connected to your spiritual community. If you can find a person who's a Christian who can be really good, amazing. Um, And I'm pretty sure Austin's got some great uh, Christian-based counseling centers. Um, But you just want to find somebody who's good. And so one of the ways to do that is to interview them. So when you interview the counselor, say, hey, I'm thinking about if you have openings, I'm thinking about working with you, but I've got a few questions for you. Would you be willing to do a, a, just a, a very brief consultation with me first? And one of the things you want to say is like, hey, I am a Christian. I have certain belief systems. Would, are, are you willing to honor those, to talk through those? And, and they say yes, you kind of talk through that and go from there. Was that helpful? Did that make sense? When it comes to your kid getting help, um, depending on the age of your kid, if your kids are older, IFS is great. If your kids are younger, a lot of play therapy, body-based work. Um, teaching kids how to use the body to calm down is really, really helpful. So people, a lot of people who are trauma-informed therapists are really good. at You don't have to, be, to have trauma to go to them, but they know how to help you regulate the body and those types of things.
7: Um, We have a almost seven-year-old girl who's, she's super bold and independent and kind of spicy, which is all great, but how do we, like, not necessarily parent, but, like, let her know that her voice is heard, but she still has to honor and respect what we're saying, but she's not, like, ignored. Does that make sense? Yeah.
0: So, uh, it's about reinforcement. So, um, you remember earlier when I said uh, there are family systems that feel like they're only heard when they're yelled when, they're, when you have to yell so what you do is like if you're one of the ways to handle this is if she comes to you and she's all spicy and she's working it and she <laughs> whoosh, tell, you need to notice, mom it's like hey baby I appreciate your independence but the way you just talked to me was violated our, like, it's disrespectful so I tell you what I'm not going to pay attention to you (laughs) unless you come back and tell me in a respectful way. So let me show you what that looks like. You want to see what that looks like? So you don't reinforce her by giving her the attention or the answer she's looking for. Um, You validate you want her to have a voice, but you mentor her in a more respectful way to do it. Does that make sense? and that that is like that's gardening right there. That's like everyday yin you know, the weed, pulling stuff out, planting the right seeds. It's consistency. We've been we've been working on that with my daughter and her humor. So this is real 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 time. It's like, "Mate, that's hilarious." But, "God bless America, babe." Like that's so disrespectful. Like you can't you can't say that to your grandmother. She and, her, she and my wife's mom, poof, 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 the two peas in a pod. And sometimes my mother-in-law is asking for it. I love my mother-in-law, but sometimes she's, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Um, so if, if, if Maggie can be hurt, and the thing about her grandmother is, even if her grandmother does something that's a little provoking, She's more than likely willing to listen if Mags goes to her and goes, hey, Nani, that, was, uh, that, that really hurt me when you said it that way. Her Nani's, I have a great relationship with my mother-in-law, and every time we have honest conversations like that, she listens. So teaching Mags to not be disrespectful or pop off, but to communicate more effectively and in healthy ways, so that, that's one way to do it. It's like, hey, babe, I want you to have a voice. I want you to listen, but you can't walk up in here like you own the place. Till you pay him for, for the mortgage or whatever. It's like, hey, I'm going to hear you, but we got to work on that delivery. Um, and so when you're ready to be heard and have a conversation, then come back and let me know, and I'll sh- show you a healthier way to do that. Does that resonate? Does that make sense? Yes. I, I'm
9: going to take, take for granted that I've got this microphone because I've got a question. Uh, and then I'll get it to you, Rachel. Um, so I'm curious about like how to get the kids to open up. Like one of the most common things we deal with is like trying to get them to talk. And it's like even as simple as like, hey, how was your day today? And it's always good. And and then we and we try to go further and it's like, I don't know, we just can't seem to get them to open up and and really, I guess, reveal some of the things they're feeling and experiencing. So. Any advice on on how to deal with that?
0: Um, Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, this is another gardening process, right? Because some of it's developmental with kids. But one of the ways that we work on that is, so my kids have a general understanding of this. Um, So we'll do what we can to structure those moments. So instead of asking, how are you doing?, um, we'll ask very specific questions. Like, we've got a, a box at, at our dinner table, and it's got questions to ask family members. Hey, what was the best part of what you ate, ate today for lunch? Or, um, hey, what are three things that you'd like to see us do in the next week? Or things that are real specific um, and that guide those kind of family conversations. I also bought, I bought a set of books called The Adventure Challenges, and you can you can scratch them off so it's like family activities dating activities ways to connect with your wife you know spouse whatever all these things so you scratch them off and you do those things as a family so it's this constant invitation of engagement and then invitation to talk about what that meant based on hey what feelings were you having when you were going down that roller coaster like um and then the, the rose, thorn, and bud question works has worked pretty well for us, and they don't they don't um, elaborate a ton, but they they'll my 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 rose they'll be more specific than just good. Um, does that help? Does that answer? The more you can give it structure and and, and invest in things that help foster conversation. There's a, a game called the ungame. Has anybody ever heard of the ungame? Okay, it's you don't win. Um, you just play you play the game, and the game sets up conversations. It's meant for therapy, but you can do it as uh, you can do. I, I've recommended it to families to foster just conversation as a family about once a month. Um, but stuff like that can be really, really helpful. That's that's
9: really good. I want to brag real quick. So I actually loved the, was it Rose, Thorn, and Bud? Yeah. I, so I love that question. And so I, I went home last night, and I, I tried it on my 15-year-old, which he's the one that never wants to talk,
2: mm.
9: never wants to talk. And so I explained it to him, and I thought I'd get the eye roll, and and I was like, and I'm going to go first. And he said, no, 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 I'm going to go first. Come on, and he dear. actually answered all three questions, <laughs> like, bam, bam, bam. I was like, on, so cool, man. Cool. This stuff really works. So great job.
7: Um, so I'm super, like, excited about everything i learned, and um, I'm ready. I'm, like, the person that, like, wants to jump in too soon. Um, so I was just wondering, is it a thing where my husband and I need to, like, have the conversation and iron out our five shared core values first and then maybe even our we have two boys 13 and 11 and then a two-year-old girl uh like i know with boys it needs to be like super specific and very black and white like have that written out somewhere i know the values yes but like this is if you this is this rule and this is this consequence and then second part because my husband did his values and i did mine and i was like oh these are not the same um I mean, there's some overlap for sure, but is it appropriate and okay if I have a value that's very strong for me to be able to be in conversation with my children about you're violating this value, but it's only mine?
0: Yes. Yeah, I I think that's fine. I I think um, what what would respect be on both of your list. Yeah, so if your kids are violating something that's very important to you, there's an element of disrespect there. Part of the way we respect is we honor values, but, you know, giving clarity to that I think is important. So, yes, that's fine. I, I do, um, that's one thing we didn't talk about is how do you come up with values as a couple when uh, some of the values are different at a core level. Um, one of the ways you do that is you, you, you come up with your core family values and then you have aspirational family values. We're going to aspire to these things. Um, and I think it's okay to have f- more than five. You just probably don't want any more than eight because it gets a little overwhelming. Um, we're, I, would, I would start as a couple. So if you're a single parent or you're a couple, start there first, then invite the kids into the process and have them write values down and, and, and go from there. Awesome, so...
9: Uh, I just got word from the children's director that your parenting is needed. They're getting ready to burn down the, the, the students. There you here. go. No, no, we, we Thanks, guys.